Hello, this is Fred Ottman, Tugboat Typhoon, the Shockmaster, the B-A-double-D, Big Steel Man. And you're listening to BBGWrestling.com. Welcome to another episode of Turn Chuckle on BBGWrestling.com. I am Pablo, and with me is the, I want to say, Bobby Ashley? <laughs> um, I mean, oh. he, he wears a suit, and he's cool, um, and he's in a group, uh, and he's the champion, um, and yeah. I don't know, what do you know about your champion? Uh, he is tall and black and wears a suit. Get out. <laughs> I'm so glad they sacked her. Like, it's great to see the embarrassment. I'm not usually glad someone loses the job, but, like, we've all suspected since about 2001 that it was all Hollywood fucking bullshit scriptwriters who don't know shit about wrestling, and then I've never seen someone so spectacularly put their foot in their mouth and be gone within, like, a week. Well, that's the that's the problem. <laughs> what was she that- called again? Funny oh. enough, I know Bobby Lashley's name, but I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to have remembered her name, but um, if she's not going <laughs> to pretend to have remembered, like you say, the WWE champion's name, um, and I'm not sticking up for modern rest, um, or certainly modern WWE here, but, like, if that's not the that's the thing it's not the fact that they've hired someone who doesn't know anything about wrestling we know that no interest to learn she's no interest to learn but it's not even that it's the fact that she thought it would be okay to say that on like a worldwide platform i'd be foaming if i was bobby like imagine (laughs) that this is his first run with their belt like we've seen him as the tna champion in that but this is the first time he won it in wwe yeah this like great there's not been very many african-american champions no. <laughs> this last was like oh i don't know his name i want to say ashley <laughs> like <laughs> fuck that i would have gone <laughs> wild Does, unless this is just like a, a break and fourth wall angle that'll become his new name (laughs) or they've brought her in to just forget people's names and then it turns out that you know um... that would not shock me oh my god quickly retreat (laughs) to the warm arms of 1996 again it's just for me I think and there's been a lot and and I'm not, not talking about political views I'm not talking about all of the awful things WWE has ever done I'm talking strictly wrestling this will go down as probably one of their most I, I don't know, just rock. Embarrassing. Model. Yeah. I, mean, I don't even know if they're embarrassing. I don't it must be know. the sack the cunt after she said this. They did, but I, I think it's not out of embarrassment, to be honest. I think they are above embarrassment in their own head. Um, You know, it will be a thing that will be completely forgotten about. Luckily, I think it's only the wrestling fans that know about this because no one outside of the hardcore wrestling fans watch WWE anymore. And I mean, if it's the kids or whatever, they're not going to know that some woman's made like a shoot statement like that on the internet. Aye, true. Um, it, but again, it, it speaks to <sighs> wrestling. I mean, WWE, I mean, I, I'm really not going to sound like I'm whinging here and we're not going to go along on this, but like, it's just, we've talked about this before that they have had the look to be a fad twice, not just mm, once, but totally, twice. Totally. And the second time wasn't based on nostalgia. It was based yeah. on them actually reinventing themselves and becoming cool again. 
um, mm-hmm. which never happens with anything like that. Like it's all nostalgia now, or you have your core audience. Aye, and that was the one time, like since we were little kids, that it had actually caught on again and set the world on fire. Mm-hmm. It's a and- total blessing to be a like pop culture zeitgeist twice. Yeah, absolutely. And I, in a way, I mean, again, she's an idiot for saying it on uh, like a worldwide platform. I mean, who asks her or why, or where does she get the permission or anything? Like, why, how does this I happen? would be embarrassed at any <laughs> job to come out and say, I don't have a fucking clue, me. Like, I don't even know how you do the job. But they said, it doesn't matter if you're not out about it. Just come on. Well, that's the thing they've said. It doesn't matter if you know nothing about it. So she's taken that as I can just tell people that I know nothing about this job. She knows how to write. She's a comedy writer. And they've hired her because she's been involved with mainstream shows. And she's ended up being a joke. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, it's, yeah. Fucking clown. I could just, it it is awful. It's really bad. (laughs) When you've got, like, what should be the, I mean, they are the biggest, arguably the most professional. They should be the best. in In terms of how they run a company, they are probably the most slick company or wrestling company out there, they've got oh, marketing, yeah. they've got marketing departments, they've got human resource departments, they've got all of that. They're the best at everything that they have except writing, and it's just they have and the wrestling. best. Well, <laughs> that's the thing they they have an incredible roster of wrestlers. That oh, it, I didn't mean that. No, and I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But it, it, you know, I love a lot of people on their roster. <laughs> if they were. It, it just seems insane to me that, and this is the, it's the age old argument of why do you have to hire a load of people when you've already got the people that can do it better than anyone else? Oh, no. You can trust the wrestlers, and that's what agents were for as well. I don't know. I know the agents are there to plan out the matches, but they're certainly not there giving out those finishes like the zombies coming down to the ring. And stuff like that, you know. If you left it to like, who the fuck would pitch that? I've got to love to think which agent would pick that. Well, seems like the sort of thing even like Gangrel would be like. That's a bit stupid. That I know I wrestled the (laughs) giraffe from Toys R Us, but still. (laughs) Well, it's not who pitches it; it's who okay's it. And like Vince McMahon, and why haven't they had their hands cut off yet? (laughs) Well, if Vince McMahon's like personally okay in these because he he must get a kick out of it. That is his type of humor or the people who are pitching it are really trying to tap into that stranger things, uh, twin peaks market, but they're just not doing it very well. No. And, so, but, and the thing well, is, so the two it need to go together. I love horror and sci-fi. I love wrestling. I didn't need them at the same time. You know what I mean? I don't want a Snickers on my pizza, even though I love both. <laughs> well, that's been the thing. We've, I get it as well, because then someone, younger will watch an episode of TNT and go like, oh, well, this was better. And I'm just like, well, it kind of was because they all were on cocaine and they were kind <laughs> that- of allowed to improv a bit and it was... And it was a piss-take TV show. Tuesday Night Titans wasn't, like, a pay-per-view. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. This was just a fucking dumbass, like, fake talk show. And not, I love and not, it for how weird it is. And not one person on Tuesday Night Titans broke character as well. No, definitely not. And that's what made it... Nobody Amazing. fucking died on Tuesday Night Titans and then turned up next week either. <laughs> well, they always said that they would never do murder or rape, and since they've said that, they've done that many times. They've done murder. Um... Are we talking creatively or just in general? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <clears throat> oh, God. I, I just don't know where there is to go now. It just feels like, why would you be 
a fan. And, and, oh, again, I sound like a whinger, but I, I do I want to question people's fandom. I just I don't understand why anyone would watch it, but they like and, it. And and I know I there were people. Like it. I know there were people who. And, and <clears> the thing <throat> is, that I know, I know people who are listening to the show who have gotten in touch with me who are fans, and you know, but I'm, I'm sure they find some of it hard to defend, but. Even if you enjoy everything that's going on on screen, when you know that you have people who aren't even wrestling fans creating this stuff, at least Vince Russo was a wrestling, it was a WWF fan in the 80s. Even, even if he took all the, the 70s, wasn't he? I, I think, yeah, I think it was largely 80s, though, because he said his favorite show was Tuesday Night Titans, which might explain that fucking explains <laughs> so much. So much. I get the same pleasure out of watching out he's written that I do from watching Tuesday Night Titans. <laughs> and and I never thought I'd say it would give me a million Russos over this person who I don't think offered a I don't think it even got to the point where she could offer an idea. Um <laughs> I don't know what uh, idea she would have had. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I would have kept her on just to see what ideas. <laughs> I would because she must have pitched something. She must have been like, "Oh well, I can offer this." You can't. You the can't. There must have been an interview process or vetting process or anything. Like someone must have sat down with her and to the point where she said, "Look, I'm not even a wrestling fan." They're like, "Oh, it doesn't matter." There must have been like, "What ideas do you have?" And I bet her answer was the same as mine there. <laughs> I mean, it's just insane. Oh, anyway. Anyway. So that, sure. yeah. To, the, to happier times. And the thing is, though, now I get more of a kick out of stuff like that than the actual wrestling now, which is a bit depressing. Or as, as A&E and Dark Side of the Ring have shown, people are more into shows about wrestling than actually watching wrestling now. Mm, true. Um, because they know they can get a rating by making a documentary about Steve Austin or doing a do- doing a show about Ric Flair's robe and stuff like that. And it's just, you know, the, there is enough there to keep me watching in terms of the old stuff. And, uh, you know, the thing I'm looking forward to coming up is San Diego Comic-Con because they're going to unveil lots of new dollies, um, which is great because they're going to show all the, all the new old figures that are coming out and stuff like that. And uh, I usually badger you all day with like pictures of the new dollies that have been unveiled such as well i don't know well the, the last oh, one they're that, not revealed at no all. no that i'm doing you yeah, seem to know shit here just before no we may have to do a little uh i may do a little review on that uh coming up <clears throat> but the, cool. like the, there's a survivor series set coming up and there's uh bret hart and his 96 gear and there's a hulk hogan from survivor series 89 with proper coked out eyes like you've <laughs> you've seen the picture that they've based this off, um, and it's uh, yeah it captures them really. So I'm looking forward to seeing because they were all just like computer the show computer renderings, and then they show the figure actually in the box and stuff like that. And ninety uh, percent of the time they look just as good, but sometimes it, like they'll inexplicably change someone's hair color, or they'll give someone the wrong color wrist tape and stuff like that. Then I'll, you know go crazy at you not at like the internet because like you know <laughs> you know I, i'm your sounding board <laughs> life, life is a bit too short but um <laughs> but yeah we're not miserable we're we're positive wrestling fans certainly about the past oh yes definitely about the past <laughs> and on that note we come to king of the ring 96 now i could not find the uh, pre-show for this so could you enlighten our audience because with it not being on the network i don't know if a lot of our audience might have not seen this well, what's interesting, and I've got to give a little bit of background about how I first saw it as well, because it didn't, in 1996, I mean, I was too young, I didn't have Sky, so I was relying on friends to tape me 
whatever pay-per-view was on. And they would take me, say, the Wednesday repeat, like at seven o'clock or five o'clock, something like that. Without and they'd the have, adverts in. They'd have the adverts in, but it, it never yeah. even occurred to me what live was as a concept. You know what I mean? Like, I just assumed there it is. There are adverts in between. Um, and then the first time that I got given a live version on cassette was King of the Ring 96. And it just, because it was like the video release, you know what I mean? Mm, <laughs> like yeah, there were yeah. no adverts in it. And that like blew <laughs> my mind is like a poor person who couldn't afford Sky in 1996. Like to me, anyone who <laughs> That's had the Sky year in... we got Sky. <laughs> well, there you go. Premier anyone... League was so hot at the time. We managed to scrimp and save and get Sky. And <laughs> my dad just told us every fucking week we were going to go bankrupt because of it. And I'm like, fuck off, man. I want to watch the wrestling. <laughs> I think that's why my mom and dad wouldn't get it because all that would be watched is wrestling. Um, but if they'd actually seen like some of the cool stuff that was on Sky, they probably would have watched it a bit more and enjoyed, like been okay paying for it. But um, yeah, so King of the Night Six, and I've still got it. I've still got that cassette. Uh, me mate taped it and then moved away, and I never gave him it back. So sorry, Gavin. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been twenty five years. I think you'll be fine. Uh, and it's in a JVC uh, cover. Do you know when they used the logo and dressed them like a football player and the, J- the JVC logo's kicking a football? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was like whatever. I think it might have been the the Italian colours, um, like green, white, and red. Uh, so it's like kind of in blocks, like sort of like the old Channel 4 logo sort of thing. Um, aye, aye. So that each or like bit the Italia 90 mascot. Exactly. So each bit looks like a limb. It, it was probably from then, like because pe- people just kept a hold of tapes forever, didn't they? Scotch, Scotch tapes, uh, you know, uh, re record not fade away and get a lifetime <laughs> guarantee on it and stuff like that. So um <laughs> did did you see a couple of years ago someone's tape, Scotch tape actually fucked, and then he found the address of Scotch tape, like whoever owns all the unused Scotch tapes, because it's a lifetime guarantee that actually sent them a new tape. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Probably ready for fucking balance. Like I'm like, <laughs> and it, <laughs> sealed blank tapes now probably go for like a million quid because <laughs> Zach Ryder's probably mentioned how you know good they are. On, his podcast he's probably got a different one like these are seller tapes and mine are worth more money because there's only been four made ever and i own them all (laughs) so um yes king the ring 96 another interesting thing is the program for king the ring 96 was the first three raw magazines were bi-monthly um because i guess they were just testing them out but in america the because I guess budgets were low. So they didn't make dedicated programs for pay-per-views back then. They just used the Raw magazine and added a few extra pages to them. So WrestleMania 12, King of the Ring 96 and SummerSlam 96 had extra pages in them. They go for shit tons now. Really? Um, yeah, because they were only made for that night. They weren't available on newsstands. Ah, I see. Right. And I was able to get my hands on one. Someone wanted to sell one because it had an autograph on the front and they were selling it based on the autograph, thinking it was just a standard raw magazine. And I was just like, ah, I don't want it. Um, Because it was someone who wasn't <laughs> even on the event. Then I looked in the top right hand corner where it said, you know, exclusive program. And I was like, yes, I will happily yep, buy it of you. Mark, um, <laughs> give a shot. <laughs> who was the autograph? It was a Savio Vega <laughs> um, autograph. And uh, he's knocked out in the, in the build up playoffs, doesn't he? <laughs> he does, yeah. <laughs> he very loved signing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, he probably had an article in the magazine itself, I'm guessing. Ah, uh, right. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, just a little bit of a preamble on my experience of uh, King of the Ring 96 of the pre show. Now, I didn't know this until doing a bit of research. 
two notable things for the pre-show is uh, Cloudy's debut. Now, Cloudy was <laughs> a pro wrestler called uh, Jimmy Shoulders, who was Chris Candido's best mate. And mm. he brought him in because the Body Donners were looking for a new manager because Sonny had went off with first the Godwins, then the, uh, she turned on the Godwins to go with the smoking guns. So the put more out, on like, that later. <laughs> more on that later. So they were looking for a new manager, and they had an application form in the magazines and stuff. They tried to make it kayfabe, and uh, they brought out Cloudy. Who imagine Sonny uh, if Sonny was just a jacked dude wearing exactly the same stuff with tattoos up and down the arms and everything. Um, <clears throat> even for WWF, which was starting to tread the lines in 96 with things like Goldust and that, this seemed very un-WWF-like. It was lame, though. This was really <laughs> lame. Like, I, I know, like, I had no idea who Cloudy was last week when you mentioned it. Right. So <laughs> when there's... what, And I didn't see the pre-show, obviously, but then when Cloudy pops up in it later, I so. thought... My God, I know it was a different time. And like, if you did an angle like that now, it would offend a load of people. And like, yeah. that, that's understandable. But I mean, even just looking at it back then, like, just fucking why? Like, what does, what purpose does this serve? What does this get over? You know what I mean? It's, it's just well, it's, lame. It certainly didn't help Candido and Pritchard, who would turn face. Uh, definitely not. Because they kept the same gimmick, basic kind of. They were kind of st- they were called the body donor still, but the fitness thing had gone to one side. And I mean, Cloudy only lasted a, a few weeks max, and I'm cer- almost certain that those few weeks were King of the Ring and the Raw the next night, where she or Cloudy he appeared on a few tape like of that night's taping sort of thing. Were we meant to believe Cloudy mm-hmm. was a woman? Because this wasn't like a trans character, or anything. No. this was just a gadgy in a dress for the sake of laughing. It- <laughs> Yeah, we would just... And they couldn't laugh, like, it's such <laughs> Butlin's humour, like, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> well, it was it was just cloudy, yeah, just, it was, even sunny later on in the night, and again, we'll get to it, it was just like, look at her, she looks awful, you know, um, but, you know, I'll play devil's advocate and say it was ahead of its time. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> oh, so yeah, um, they bring out cloudy. But the thing is, right, the, the countdown, the free-for-all, is was on the VHS release, and then later on the Thai Classic release, but it's really edited uh it only goes about 15 minutes max for like a half an hour pre-show and it starts halfway through the rockers the new rockers sorry and the body donners tag team match that's how the whole was it leaf cassidy and marty janetti that's correct um so it, it it didn't even include the entrances for this so you don't see Cloudy's introduction and stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure someone, Richard Land will have like the unedited version. And I would love to see it just for curiosity's sake and whether they include the next bit that I'm going to talk about as well. So um, uh, Cloudy gets in the ring, gives Leaf a big old smooch on the on the kisser and uh, the body donors win their match. Yep. Cats reagent. Funnily, well, funny enough, this cat's called Sonny as well. So, um, <laughs> just still hot about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other notable thing, well, during that as well, yeah, Todd Pettingill, because you, you may notice that he's not there that night and he's ill. Mm. Uh, so, he could have been the person delivering the Austin 316 promo. Uh, but if he was what, there, instead of Michael Hayes, instead of Michael Hayes, uh, but and I can't exactly remember, I think it wasn't it Hayes who gave him the idea for the Austin 316 that night. Was it? Apparently. I didn't realise that. 
just as a, you know, it wasn't, I don't believe, Jake takes credit for it, but I'm sure I've heard that Michael Hayes actually said, oh, just say something about Austin 316 to get it, Jake. Uh, I so- thought Michael Hayes gave him the stunner, or like <clears throat> told him to do the stunner as a finish, but I didn't realise he'd give him the idea there. Well, it might have been Jake then. So again, don't write his letters, but I'm sure I've heard, again, there's that many podcasts with different recollections now, like Jim Ross and... Uh, mm. You know Bruce Pritchard and everything that you know you can never really know the truth, I guess. But it could not. They're often not even lying either. It's so long ago. Like how would you remember? Yeah. No, absolutely. So they they call Todd at home, who's ill, and uh, Todd's still selling the pay per view over the phone. <laughs> um, <laughs> I heard you talk to him about that on the interview. Yeah, um, I, I'm sure Todd does not remember this at all, and probably didn't like. He being- didn't. <laughs> And he, and he certainly didn't like being reminded that he missed out on probably his most defining interview. <laughs> <laughs> so the other notable thing is that uh, Brian Pillman uh, makes his on-screen, besides the press conference, uh, makes his on-screen debut while he's walking down the aisle and Doc Hendricks runs up to meet him and he says something's going to happen tonight that's going to be wild or whatever. And that's basically all you get from the from the pre-show, but there is also a non-televised match, uh, which I'm guessing wasn't even on the pre-show. It'll have just been when they were showing uh, vignettes or video packages or whatever. And Hunter Hurst Helmsley, the person who was scheduled to win the King of the Ring, uh, if it wasn't for the curtain call, uh, he had a match against Aldo Montoya and uh, won that match. And I didn't know that until doing a bit of research on it. Hmm. I don't know that either. Yeah. Aldo Montoya as in not yet credible. As in not yet. Um, or barely credible, depending on uh, you know previous experiences. Dealing. Um, so you know, <clears throat> I didn't say that. Uh, so, and that's that's basically all you get of the pre-show on the uh, on the King of the Ring DVD slash video, and then we cut to the uh, the intro, uh, which runs you through the matches. It's a very different introduction. Uh, for this pay-per-view compared to others, because again, it does actually take you for all the matches as well. I really like that video package. I thought it sets the tone very nicely for TV. That's why I like pay-per-views to open with a video package anyway. You see how good the lineup's going to be for it in this one. Like if they showed that before you'd bought the pay-per-view, that would get you buying it. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think Some... it's... it's gone. Sorry, go on. Well, no, I think they learned their lesson kind of like with Royal Rumble 96 compared to Royal Rumble 95 and WrestleMania 12 compared to WrestleMania 11. I think they learned their lesson from King of the Ring 95 to King of the Ring 96. They knew that a first round of eight people, if you don't have the roster to do it with, isn't going to work. It would bore the crowd mm. uh, because a lot of the matches become inconsequential. Um, yeah. So having just four people, four credible contenders, it was Jake, Vader, Austin, and Mero had just come in and, you know, come in hot from WCW and there's no reason, and he was undefeated going into the tournament, so there's no reason why he wouldn't have got the push that night as well. Um, Definitely four credible people. And to be honest, if anything, I would say Austin was probably the underdog because he was losing Caribbean strap matches the month before. Was he? Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd been he'd turned into Steve Austin at that point, but he'd only been gone He started the ringmaster music and that, though, didn't he? He did, and he, you know, he'd only had a month without Ted DiBiase at that point. Uh, and let's face it, he wasn't going to win that night either. It was going to be Hunter Hearst Hamsley, but he yeah. loses in the uh, the first round to Jake the Snake. So there you go. The uh, curtain call actually saved WWE. Because <laughs> yeah, you would have got Noah Stone Cold Steve Austin. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure he, uh, Triple H gladly, you know, takes credit for that now. Oh, I'm sure he does. I'm sure it was, a, I'm sure it was all about him. You know, in that video package at the start, now I don't remember Mark Mero in his early time at WWF very well. Mm-hmm. He says he's already king of the jungle and now he's going to be the king of the ring. Like, was he doing some kind of Tarzan gimmick? And I know he was married to Sable and a Sable is a kind of cat. So, like, was he trying to say, like, she's a Sable and I'm a lion? Like, I'm not marvellous, Mark. I'm awesome, Ralph. <laughs> Very loosely, yeah. I mean, I don't think they knew what they wanted to do with Wildman Mark Merrick because he had, uh, it was like leopard print paws on his uh, on his ring gear and uh, the lighting treatment he had were like leopard spots and paws spinning around and stuff like that. It was, it was cartoony. It was 96, basically. Um yeah. And they even did a photo shoot for, for that Raw magazine, actually. Oh, no, actually, it was the next one to life, because this Raw magazine, the King of the Ring program, funnily enough, had Diesel on the cover and had an interview with Vince talking about why Diesel left the WWF, because uh, these magazines were like two months behind at that point. Yeah, <laughs> no idea what he's going to go and do. <laughs> <laughs> he was already in WCW when this program was out, which is crazy. <laughs> Just shows you how things, how quickly things moved. Uh, oh, I definitely. In the 90s. But uh, even the video package moves that fast as well. You get like just after they've done the little bit where they're setting the scene and that, you suddenly get like Sonny bent over and shimmying and the crop top with a cowboy hat on. It was like, <laughs> like choked on me beer. And then you immediately find that it's a really awkward bone because it cuts straight to Goldberg tongue and Ahmed Johnson. You're like, oh, no, Who? not Goldberg. Gold doest. So it's what he's doing before his undefeated streak, just necking on with Ahmed. <laughs> oh, Lord, that would have been very different. Saws <laughs> <laughs> <Soz> Goldberg. Saws <laughs> oh, Ahmed. Yeah. Yeah, Ahmed, we'll get into that as well, because I did interview Ahmed one time and he did not enjoy it. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a stacked card because, I mean, you've got Warrior in a special attraction match, which was the best way to use Ultimate Warrior in 1996. Yeah, the smoking guns against the Godwins in an already decently built-up feud over Sonny. I mean, Sonny made that tag division in 96. I've spoken to Henry Godwin about it. I've spoken to a few people who were involved in it, like on past interviews, and that tag division needed Sonny as the linchpin to as like the store, you know, for the all personality. the personality around. Oh, absolutely, because. Don't get me wrong, the Godwins were they were popular. They were popular, and the, the smoking guns became pop like sort of uh, over his heels. But Sonny really helped that, and also gave the Godwins more sympathy, I guess, because um, people got behind the payoff eventually when Phineas slopped Sonny. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, and what else? Oh, and obviously, Sean and Bulldog the rematch as well. And you can't go wrong with Sean and Bulldog. And, no, you can't. And Undertaker against Mankind in Mankind's first big uh, pay-per-view match as well, because uh, he wasn't on the pre- uh, previous two In Your Houses. Um, so, yeah, pretty pretty stacked card. And I don't think it, – it certainly doesn't hurt the King of the Ring by deviating from it, uh, as I didn't think it hurt it, you know, events like Survivor Series by not just having four on fours. If you don't have strong enough teams, no one's going to care about them. Put they a title just match become in a formality, do not they? Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, what did you think of Owen Hart on commentary? I really liked Owen on commentary. I, I liked how in character he was. It can often be a difficult and awkward transition 
for someone when they're commentating in character. But I thought Owen did it pretty naturally. He could have been a proper like Bobby Heenan style commentator and he has to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. He's uh, he's so full of himself and he's so like, he makes sure to keep all of the attention on him. He's like, oh yeah, he's great. He's no own heart, but you know. Uh... <laughs> but that works for the character. I loved it. He was the king of hearts, wasn't he? Every time yeah. they're about the king and he's like, yep, I've done it. <laughs> and and he's so sarcastic and genuinely fun. I can tell Vince and Jim Ross had a lot of fun commentating with him that night. And oh, it was pro- it was probably a bit of a gamble as well. But uh, once you've had Art Donovan on commentary, I think anything's out <laughs> up for grabs. I anything's I noticed. Go on. Sorry, go on. No, no, go on. Uh, Owen, when he, when he was talking on the commentary for the first match, he called Mero a cheater, and like. I didn't know. Like, is that so? Is he calling him a cat? Is this to do with the king of the jungle thing? Like, or is he saying like he is cheating? Because there was still, as you say, there was like pure cat like puff lights flashing everywhere and that. And it's just like maybe he's the sultan of the Serengeti and not the king of the jungle if he's a cheater. Because pretty sure they're not in the jungle. Like, what would be the point in being dead fast when there's trees everywhere? <laughs> this sounds like point of view, doesn't it? Like you should have written in a letter. <laughs> right. Oh, my uh, letters section in Viz. <laughs> I love that because Vince is sat at ringside, he has no one really controlling him on commentary. So, you like within five minutes, he calls Sable like hosebag. And uh, <laughs> <he> <laughs> I know. And then Vince starts perving on her as well. Yeah. I felt really uncomfortable when you know that she's going to end up putting a sexual harassment lawsuit on him in years <laughs> to come. And he's probably drooling on her on commentary. I was like, whoa. But I mean, that PVC cat suit reminded me how great the year 1996 was to end a puberty. <laughs> yeah, Sable did look great in 96. It's a shame she was managing Mark Merrow. Like, <laughs> uh, it, it, people have made the comment, Cornette's made the comment, like if Sable could have, like, Taking the AK forty seven to Mark Merrow's career, like could she have killed it any deader? Um, and all eyes are on her, like yeah, she's just someone else <laughs> looking like that. There seems to be some edict in WWE at the time as well that the women have to have these like plunging necklines and they have to lean the jugs exactly on the apron. Because <laughs> I've noticed when we've been watching these ninety six things, Sable and Sunny. Every time they come up to the apron, they're like plonked on there. And I was like, oh, I bet you poor lasses have been told to do that because it's so routine in every match. You know what I immediately liked about this King of the Ring is that they didn't open with that royalty music that they'd been using. Oh, the farty trumpet stuff. The farty trumpet stuff, which worked the first time, maybe the second time, but good God, by the third time. Because the third time... They had it's that Mabel music. the Unable as well. It's not very regal. Well, that's the thing. They had that music playing over that. So it was just uh, over that speech as well. That Sir Mo took about 10 minutes. Sir Mo. <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair, he wasn't, he hadn't been knighted at that point because he was doing the coronation. But uh <laughs> um my but... lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I've got to say as well that. Another thing on the countdown before we get into the Mero Austin matches, Mr. Perfect, because he's the guest referee and another reason why Owens on commentary because Perfect and Lawler are doing stuff that night and Doc Hendricks has taken over Todd Pettingill's role because he's ill. So I think it was just as much a necessity to have Owen Hart there. Uh, nah, right, aye. Who, depending they, on who... They've made a good choice, though. They have made a good choice. And depending on who you believe, because I talked to the curtain call kid and he was there that night, obviously, but Warrior took on Owen Hart that night and it's believed that Owen legit broke his arm in that match with the Warrior because he started wearing the cast after that. But... 
whether it was just a heel thing or not. People don't honestly know whether Owen actually hurt or not, which is great. I thought Warrior got hurt. Didn't he end up with a fucked shoulder? And that's why well, oh, he might have impacts on that that we'll see later in, in the pay-per-view. I'll wait till we get to it. But I'm sure he was working with a shoulder injury at the time from like the build-up to this event. Oh, that wouldn't that wouldn't shock me at all. Um, yeah, I, I didn't know about that, but yeah, that absolutely wouldn't shock me. So P- perfect comes out and uh, you know basically says that he's going to be a fair referee, but you know that he does not like Shawn Michaels anyway. Because one thing, the best thing about Mister Perfect on commentary that he was really bitter against Shawn Michaels in the way that Jesse Ventura would be bitter against Hogan. Both Hogan, yeah. Um, so there was that the odds stacked against Michael's thing. And finally, the, oh, well, we'll get onto that later. So yeah, the Merrill Austin match, uh, really good opener with two people who got fired from WCW because they had nothing for them, basically. Yeah, um, I, I really like it. The, the, <laughs> they've still got some of this, the WCW style as well. Like, I know this match won't be to everybody's taste. Like, as the commentary point out ad nauseum, that yeah. it's slow and methodical and ground-based. Like, I like that, but I know, especially a modern audience looking back, like if you only know the kind of blue collar messiah Stone Cold Steve Austin, this ground based style, you know, he still does like the stun gun, which I was like, yeah, I'm not someone do that. But like he, he is wrestling a lot more like Stun and Steve rather than like Stone Cold Steve Austin still. But that makes it really interesting seeing him called Stone Cold and still in that kind of last vestiges of the previous character. Or it's interesting to me anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And he just introduced the stunner a few weeks before, in a, I believe in a qualifying match against Bob Holly. Um, and the stunner was even performed more slowly as well. He didn't kick someone first. He picked him up and then literally dropped. So it like, took his time with it. And it to me, it seemed more impactful. Uh, yeah, I thought when, so too. When he did it that way. Um, do it you looks think... more like a neck breakery type thing. I know it's actually a jawbreaker, yeah. but like when it's slow and then the crunch and there's the impact, it looks like something snapped. Whereas like later on in the Attitude Era, there's such a big impact for the pop and people gone flying and that unite the rock or more hilariously Scott Hall later. But like <laughs> it, it just becomes more of a yay, seeing him do the stunner rather than looking like something that actually is going to do you in. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. Do you think there's a statement? It's a statement from WWF to have Merrill and Austin in the first match, though. Like n- new names for WWF, but also former WCW names that weren't hadn't occurred to us. But the vignettes, two US champions against each other. Yeah, and I say Merrill got fired, but I, I think he just left, didn't he? I don't think Merrill was fired. Like I think he just. I'm pretty sure he left on reasonable terms. Just yeah, contract you know, ran up and he left. Well, that's the thing. If you watch those nightmares about how Bischoff, Bischoff would bury everyone, he didn't bury Mero as much as he could have. Um, no, I'm pretty sure he said to Mero in real life, he's just like, mm, they won't know what to do with you there, mind. <laughs> well, yeah, and they weren't wrong. And they didn't. <laughs> I've, again, I think they kind of had ideas with what to do with him, but also Mero was beholden to Sable. And I think he was honest. It became to a point where he was more about putting her over by taking the power bomb off her and stuff like that, but then also wondering why Austin wouldn't work with him if like you get power bombed off Sable, um, and then he's going, ah, oh, you know, he get beat, beat up by Sable, and then you beat me up. No, no. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a notable thing about this match is uh, Mero goes for I don't know what the move is, but it's like a reverse cradle where he jumps up from behind him and then rolls him up backwards and hooks his shoulders. I know the one you mean. Um, it'll have a it'll have a name, I'm sure. So Mero kicks Austin in the face. That's why he split his lip, isn't it? That's why he split his lip. But ever since then, and I guess before then as well, Austin had 
a scar on his lip. And I always thought that it was from that match, but it wasn't. Apparently, it was from a vicious dog. Um, <laughs> there you go. And it, it wasn't even Austin who told that originally. It was someone on like an Austin DVD. But it was like, I did the, not know that. Where the scar came from, it wasn't from that, uh, which is, you know, might blow a couple of minds. It blew my mind. I never noticed the scar when he's stunning Steve, but also the camera resolution's probably lower. So like, I've just not seen it. There is that, and also he doesn't just have his goatee at that point. He's still got shades of a beard in there. Like you have to look uh, closely, but he's not full on Steve Austin at that. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin, as he. I know what from. you mean. Um. So yeah, Austin legit gets his lip torn to shreds. Uh, during that match, but uh, and I would he has honest... to go backstage for stitches, doesn't he? I mean, they pretend he's gone to the hospital, but he he goes backstage and they have to get a doctor to actually stitch him for it. Yeah, and it, stitches that do not hold up as well because it was a very you've only got half an hour to do before it, he's in his next match. Quickly <laughs> put his mouth back on like he's Mister Potato Head. <laughs> I honestly think that Austin winning that match was probably an upset, and I don't think anyone expected him to win uh, that night. Certainly. Um, and if you notice, but, you know, like Johnny, B- nah, I want to call him Johnny B. Bad. Um, Mark Merrow didn't exactly get the most inauspicious start, did he? He comes out of WrestleMania and he's like, Hi, I'm here. And then he immediately gets buried by Triple H. So, like, did anyone <laughs> really think he was going to win it? I think it was honestly, I think considering he won the IC title later that year, um, mm. I think it was he was probably just as likely as Austin because th- uh, they foreshadow with- a lot that it'll be Jake though, don't they? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, the, the thing with Austin though is coming out in the plain black on pay-per-view, no frills, is so on WWF at that point, even though they're not including yeah, TL totally. Hopper or the goon or whatever. Like if you look at everyone else on that show, they've all got colorful costumes. They've all got some, and I know St- Stone Cold Steve Austin is a gimmick, but they all have more, I guess, um, flamboyant flamboyant or at least visually explainable gimmicks you know what I mean like you they're more obvious gimmicks more obvious gimmicks yeah Uh, but if you notice there is a bit of a a smart crowd in uh, in Milwaukee that night Uh, so you've got the ECW fans there as well who are obviously big on Austin and give him the pop when he uh, when he wins it and you can you can already see I mean he's obviously got the uh, the reputation. People know who he is. They're not... Uh, WWF weren't explicitly trying to hide his past, but, I mean, they weren't also telling you about it either, but, like, you know, they, it wasn't like they made him Chili McFreeze. I know they made him... No, the no, they just draw no attention to what he used to be. No, um, but people know about him, and, you know, I think he you can already see him, even that night, starting to gain some respect from people in terms of, you know, popularity and stuff like that. Uh, even before the Austin 316 promo, and no one had really, and I don't care what anyone says, no one had really heard him talk in WWF at that point. No one had seen... I can't think of him speaking before it, like... Yeah, I mean, he did speak on his debut as the ringmaster, but that was completely in a different kind of gimmick. Uh, But it's... When he was talking to Steve Austin, it really was quiet and staring at the camera and just brooding. It wasn't the the Austin 316 promo that you would see later on. That really was... He was basing it on a serial killer initially, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Um, that was hence the ice Iceman element of it. <laughs> and, and you do know how the Steve Austin... I mean, it's, you probably know how the Steve Austin name... This story, the Stone Cold name came up. Yeah, because it's like, do you want to be Ice Dagger? Do you want to be Chili McFreeze? And he's like, oh, fucking hell, have I got to pick one of these names? And his wife's like, yeah, drink your tea before it goes Stone Cold. <laughs> Bing! 
<laughs> and his wife was uh, Lady Blossom. Aye. At the time. Um, good job Vince didn't see her. She would have been in with Austin. But uh, uh, yeah, so a really good opener. And you can tell to me that Jim Ross... I, I I think um what's his face? JJ Dillon was still talent relations at this point, but Jim Ross really is got his recruiting hat on at this point. You can see it's it's a bit of a crossover show in terms of names because Warriors on there, um, in particular, in terms of like generations passing each other sort of thing. But if you mm. look at like the new names that are involved in this, you can tell that they know that they have to do something different at this. I mean, they lost Hall and Nash. And again, Hunter Samsley was getting punished for, you know, whatever being punished means, I guess. And mm. they really were trying out new names, it seems. And they knew that, like, Sovio Vega had had his day in WWF in, in terms of being a fan favourite. And, uh, I mean... They didn't give him enough of a character. What's your character? You're from Puerto Rico. Uh, I know I am, but what's my character? You're from Puerto Rico. Oh, oh. it could have All been. All right, far... then I'll wear the flag. Here we go. It could have been far worse for him. It could have been Quang. So, oh god, I. <laughs> so yes. Anyway, wasn't really... he a secret character on one of the games we used to play? <laughs> he was. It was Raw. I want to say on the 32X, him and Crush. That was it. Were secret that characters. Was uh, not that you could tell by looking at them that they were Quang and Crush, but um, and nobody uh... would have looked for them. <laughs> Um, so yeah, really good opener uh, and a, a good uh, tone setter for the rest of the show, I would say. So what would you say? Definitely. What's coming up next? Next up is Vader versus Jake the Snake. And you get a, a good video package where Owen has some lovely python skin boots on and it shows him Cost and Ahmed the match, which got Jake into the semis. And then speaking of semis, I was at full mast at the sight of Jake DDT and Triple H and pinning them clear on the video on his journey to the top. So that was a fun video package. Uh, I think because um, they did the qualifiers and they did the first round on TV as well. So I think he beat Justin Hawk Bradshaw as well, which... Yeah, I think there's a brief clip of that, but you're just getting like, close one, DDT, and it's just like running through them. It's a bit of a shocker though, because he's someone that they were like, you know, he's young, he's massive, he's he can move, he's he can talk. Uh, I'm surprised someone like Justin Hope Bradshaw, maybe, I mean, back then they didn't feel the need to rush people onto pay-per-views. Uh, he was one of the only gimmicks as well where I thought that it, it had mileage, you know, and there's yeah. a load of people brought in with dubious gimmicks. But, like, the Justin Hope Bradshaw one's dated, but, like... It's very easy to put on a blackjack style character from 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Like loads of promotions did it. So he was lucky with his gimmick, I think. He was. And and like I say, at that point, and don't get me wrong, loved Dumpster Drawers. He's been a pe- previous guest and everything, but the ship had very much sailed on his run at that point. And he was, but he was still with the company. But they knew enough mm. at that point not to put him in like a first round. Whereas everyone knows he's going to lose because he's a fucking bin man. It's nothing to do with the guy playing it. If you get a guy dressed as a bin man carrying the bin to the ring, he's not going to win. <laughs> win the bin. That's all you get. Aye. Aye. Anyway, 
Uh, so <laughs> what I love though is uh, like scolding parents. Jim Ross is just like, and who's this coming off the second rope with his cast? And no one was like, it wasn't me. I didn't mean. Yeah, you know, it was just I slipped <laughs> off the rope. <laughs> there is kind of like a father son relationship with Jim Ross and Own Heart on this, where Jim Ross is like the stern dad in Own Heart, the real mischief maker on this. Um, but yeah, so Jake and Vader, and Jake is. He's really over on his return, but and and I guess he is that night as well. I mean, certainly against Vader, because I don't think people were expecting him to win against Vader. No, I, I don't think anyone have expected it. There's a hilarious bit in this match where they like they go over to tie up, and Vader goes behind Jake, and he like reaches through like he's going for a full Nelson, and I think it's meant to be like he's gonna slam or suplex Jake, and Jake reverses it, but he just does the tiniest little jump and screams and it looks like uh, Vader give him a titty twister he just like went from behind <laughs> twist and he jumps and goes oh! <laughs> he doesn't look blocked it definitely just looks like a nerve <laughs> uh, one thing I noticed about this match and you may not have noticed it but now if you watch it going forward you will notice it is because Jake comes to the ring with like green lighting and they forget to turn out one of the green lights and it shines off the ring throughout the entire match and I honestly thought there was like problems with me telly <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> um, but it's a very... We're sh- oh, gone. I was going to say, I quite like this match. Like, you got bits that look great. You know, like, Vader gets hit with a short arm clothesline and he, like, wibbles and doesn't go down. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> like, that clothesline puts everyone out. But it's one of those matches where a buggered up finish just ruins the match. So I, I don't know. Vader... I mean, they were building him up for a title run against Shawn Michaels. And he was supposed to later that year win the title from Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series um, so he just didn't want to lose because it would hurt his standing in Japan he still had some Japanese bookings to come I think well it was it was a DQ that worked though for me because it's not the fact that it's a DQ that's bad it's the fact that they executed terribly like when I'll, Jake goes to I'll DDT Vader and he, yeah. yeah he barely touches Kyoto and then Kyoto just kind of falls over and the bell rings and they disqualify Vader and it's like it's like awkward and there's like a little bit before the, the commentary trying to explain. Uh, I, th- I think Vader was pulling the ref out of the way, but like... Uh. <laughs> I do love Owen's reaction to it. It's a proper just Canadian, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> like just the worst possible thing that could have happened, Vader getting disqualified. Um, so, uh, was, was he not just looking at the actual finish? Would he not just broken <laughs> character and gone, no, no! And to me, like, a loss is a fucking loss. Yeah, it, it would have been better if he just got pinned. I'd, it doesn't hurt. Like, did anyone get hurt when we did King of the Ring '93? Who got pinned? There were a load of great stars got pinned. It's a tournament, so it like does it, it happens in a, it... in a micro. What? Sorry, what? Yeah, no, sorry, I'm interrupting. Um, does it not suit Vader's character though to kick off and then attack Jake and stuff like that? I mean, he could have done that by getting pinned. Mm. You roll him up or something, then afterwards he goes on a fucking rampage and injures Jake anyway. That's a lot better than to get near Kyoda and Kyoda explodes and then the bell rings. And it's <laughs> like, what the hell's going on here? Like, I, I would have been behind that match, but the finish makes it a total dud for me. Oh, see, I, I, I really don't mind it. Only, and again, though, you're not to know this really, I guess, at the time, but because of where Vader ended up in 96, and it, it did make his pinfall loss to Michaels more meaningful in a title match instead of a first-round match. I mean, arguably, don't put him in the tournament at all. Um, mm. But I think... the. I've, 
I didn't mind the DQ. They could have potentially handled it a bit better because it was a bit confusing. Um, if they executed it better, it would have just been a bit lame. But like to have a lame finish that you do badly just ruins it for me. The the pulling the ref in front of you, um, unless it gets uh, announced by the ringing announcer as to why someone's been disqualified. Yeah, if they're like for pulling the referee, in, yeah. yeah, it never that never works because especially because he doesn't pull him. Right. Yeah. He just goes down near him and the Kyoda goes flying. <laughs> like it makes no <laughs> sense. If anything, it looks like Kyoda's took a dive and I was waiting for him to call the VAR and send Kyoda up for simulation. <laughs> well, it's just a, it's about as confusing as the the double pins where all four shoulders are on the mat. And well, you know, I despise that finish. Well, you know, that's the reason for this Sean and Bulldog match later on. <laughs> <laughs> Bulldog does the German suit. Oh, no, sorry. Sean does the German suplex. And then both referees have two different vantage points and count each other's shoulders down. And that's what led to the rematch, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, again, if you just take a second to like describe it to the audience and mm. uh you know because not everyone's gonna know this kind of stuff uh the commentators always do a good job but again that doesn't but help if audience you're in the house, you, you, yeah. you don't hear it <laughs> you're part of the arena there's no commentary yeah um, I, I will say the post-match beatdown does what it needed to do and it sets the drama nicely for the final but you got an unsatisfying poorly executed finish but it, it's redeemed somewhat by Vader's rage afterwards I think Jake should have always got by by the skin of his teeth though because it, that's it, why it, for me a roll up or something like that okay I mean it, it's kind of really one of the first times that they acknowledge someone's age as well because I feel like they had to at that point because they're he's taking... only 41 though they no, no, no. Like he's 110 no I, I agree but when you're taking the piss out of WCW for their wrestlers who aren't much older and then you're using Jake in a prominent position yeah in 96 have... Hogan was younger <laughs> well, this is, and a lot of the wrestlers on that roster I mean Brett was only two years younger than Jake which is mental um I, Jake didn't have the best training regime, though, did he? <laughs> Not in 96. He just when... had a crack at it. <laughs> <laughs> when he's wearing that vest to cover his, uh, cover his gut, like, you know, it's never, oh, no. never a good him. thing. Bless him. Um, but uh, you got it... your Coliseum exclusives, though. Wow. That... Okay. I'm shocked about that because I've never watched the network version. So what's the, the... Coliseum? Exclusive? It spoils the network version a bit because. There's nothing wrong with the segments, but they end up going backstage so fucking many times when I was watching <laughs> this. I was like, oh man, just stay with the pay-per-view. It's starting uh, to feel like telly. What did they do? Uh, you've got a Coliseum extra of Vader going absolutely acker on Cornette in the dressing room. Yeah. And, and you've got to bet that's not the first time Cornette yelled, <laughs> yelled to a bloke like, you're the greatest big man. Nobody can beat you. <laughs> Cornette and, I, you know, I'm not talking about is like real life or anything like that just calling out the character well, i am i was just taking the piss over and being a cook is yeah um, it it took away a lot of the um the danger of vader harley race worked so much better as vader's manager um right. and uh, but you wouldn't think you could put two wcw greats together like corner and vader and it doesn't work it yeah it it's not the type of character uh, that Vader should uh, that Cornette should be managing, or that Vader shouldn't have someone like Cornette as a manager. Because if you notice, when Vader grabs Cornette and he pushes him to the uh, to the locker room, instead of looking legit scared, he does the thing of like where his head just wobbles and he's he's like, <laughs> oh, big man, you know. And it's just yeah, it's just yeah. a bit too cartoony 
Um, Definitely too cartoony for me for Vader. What I like with Harley is it's something that, ironically, Jake does well in modern day while he's with Lance Archer. I think the biggest bastards need to have, like, a handler, like someone like Harley Race or Jake the Snake's a big fucker who can hold you back. Yeah. You need someone who can, like, talk down a big monster. And, like, if you were a big monster like Vader and Jim's like, no, don't do that, you'd be like, shut up, Jim. <laughs> and Vader could talk as well. I mean, he, he sometimes forgot where he was going with his interviews, which could be said of a few wrestlers, but it's Kane. Say, that's not novel to him, though. No, that's definitely not. Um, but I don't... And eventually, he'd give Paul Bearer... He'd give him a Paul Bearer as his manager. And Paul Bearer, once he lost the face paint, was great as Vader's manager, because it was just Percy Pringle at that point. Um, but there were I did lot, like Percy as his manager, actually. There were a lot of hindrances to Vader. I mean, oh God, we could do a whole show on Vader at some point and we just will. be upset. <laughs> I love Vader, so I love a lot of vent there. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's yeah one of those Coliseum video extras as well, uh, which I'm surprised is on the network. Uh, they really do uh, have no... Uh, consistency filter but yeah no consistency whatsoever so um what is next because we've already passed that's the first round over with next up you get the uh smoking guns versus the godwins and there's like a, a before the match you get like the godwins dancing in the ring with two little kids and by <laughs> little kids i mean goats i didn't get that like the hog farmers why the fuck are they bringing in goats? Mm-hmm. And I just didn't like seeing how absolutely shit scared those poor little goats were. <laughs> like, just have the Godwins in gym, do a hillbilly dance to don't go messing with the country boy, and that's fun. You don't need livestock. And you've got the network version, so you don't get don't go messing with the country boy. You get awful midi banjo instead of don't go messing with the country boy. Yeah. And then you get Sonny and the smoking guns, and they don't look like the Young Pistols' dads anymore. <laughs> Although, and then you get the footage of a man dressed as Sonny, which is, in fact, cloudy, but I didn't know what the hell was going on there. I just saw that in that video package. But yeah, God- I was just... Sorry, go on. Oh, no, do the Godwin's music... Because it's that MIDI banjo for ages. If it goes on for long enough, a drum beat kicks in, and it literally turns I into... I didn't Cotton hear Eye a drum beat coming. Okay. <laughs> it turns into wool packers and Cotton Eye Joe all mixed into one. <laughs> oh, man. Um- <laughs> I found it mental to think WCW at this time had an outsider invasion story going on, and WWF had RuPaul's Livestock Super Show. <laughs> you got, like, Cloudy and the Dancing Goats. I was like, I... Mm, mm. Sunny though. Oh, well, man, my that last little cowgirl thing, outfit. Oh. In, that, in that match, you know, unquestionably the most over uh, thing in that match was, uh, was Sunny. So we'll start... They made the- a pretty beautiful trio, though, the Guns and, <laughs> guns and Sunny. Like, that's a very attractive group, and... The guns got hot all of a sudden. Once they shaved off the tashes and uh, uh, cut the hair short and everything, they did. They did start looking hot. Um, it was risky as well. Like Billy Gunn cuts a promo where they're building that feud you were talking about yeah. before with the Godwins, but he basically says that like, well, he can make Sonny come like the Godwins <laughs> never could. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, that's risky for nineteen ninety six. It really was. I remember thinking that at the time, not entirely knowing what he meant, but like you know, uh, when I was. Uh, I think oh, was that ten? I was ten at that yeah, point. Cause yeah, because I was like, I bet I can do better. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the first time I'd seen the smoking guns as heels as well, uh, because I didn't it, realize they were meant to be heels. Like I just it, to me that seemed just like two face teams. It's just the being a dick to each other. Like, <laughs> well, I tag, didn't quite get the dynamic. The tag titles, unfortunately, for two months in a row were on pre-shows. Uh, and those were two tag team title changes as well. So if you'd never, the only way you can see them on the network is on the Sunny Coliseum video 
Um, so if, if you've never seen them, it's worth watching if you want to see like titles change hands because uh, it goes through Sonny's entire 96 and 97 at that point. Um, Glorious hot streak, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, smoking guns as heels against the Godwins and uh, it's it's a good match. I enjoyed it a lot. You I know, enjoyed it. Very different uh, dynamic seeing the smoking guns as heels at that point. Um, mm, and Jim Ross does a really good job of saying how disappointed he is when like some kids asked for the smoking guns autograph and you wouldn't believe what the smoking guns had to say to these kids. And Owen Hart was like, who cares about the fucking kids? <laughs> like, they're, they're, they're winners. They've got the belts. That's all that matters. <laughs> like Owen was again, top notch on this, but Sonny is getting everyone's attention during this match. So what do you do in the middle of a pay-per-view tag match? You cut away the picture in picture of more <laughs> terrible impressions of cross-dressing. It, it feels like there's a good event that they're determined to ruin on this night with just stuff like that. You're like, oh, I'm getting really into this. Oh, and there's Cloudy. Oh. Uh-huh. Right. I love the finish, though. What, the Cloudy interview? Oh. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I love so the on, finish of the actual match. Well, on the Cloudy interview, Cloudy starts hitting on Jim Ross and Owen Hart's like, oh, you've pulled there like me. <laughs> Jim Ross is just like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> they all know how ridiculous the cla- Jimmy Shoulders knew how ridiculous the cloudy thing was. Jimmy, I felt for Jimmy doing that, like, oh, I'm sure you loved it. Like, Jimmy uh, apparently, he, well, I've seen it, he goes around convert, he doesn't wear the stuff, but he brings the stuff with him. He actually kept hold of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> but I mean, and you know, I've been in touch with him for an interview as well. That's going to happen, which is, I mean, going to be great. Like, I'm not going to no, spend an hour, I'm not going to spend an hour and a half talking about Cloudy. We're actually going to be talking. I bloody about- hope not. <laughs> We're going Imagine to be talking. That was all anyone fixated on in your career, <laughs> like two appearances as a man in a dress. Well, we're going to be talking about uh, Chris Candido quite a bit. Um, well, I figured. Who. <sighs> If the rock, New Rockers and the Body Donners had been given longer and if they were on the main show, they arguably would have had the match of the night. Uh, Isn't it mental that they called them the New Rockers when like, the new addition to the Rockers was just an amalgamation of two really old-fashioned 70s characters? <laughs> People don't understand that I'm like a huge fan of the New Rockers because we're into the same music. <laughs> when, <laughs> when they're like the monkeys and the partridge family and stuff like that there's a, so oh, a topical in 1996 <laughs> yeah poor marty i mean i guess poor leaf as well because he was considered I, I, I think it was it might have been todd gordon or it might have been paul Heyman called him like pro wrestling's greatest secret at that point and uh you know i'm sure he was grateful for getting the platform on wwf but you must have just thought fucking hell like <laughs> it's better than when he was avatar or whatever isn't it that's true there was a raw a couple of years later it went all right I'm going slightly off topic but uh big boss man it's not like you yeah big boss man kidnaps uh pepper the dog and i remember uh, this al snow <laughs> the on the raw he comes out dressed as avatar and he's doing the full-on avatar gimmick, and then he because he's he's distraught over losing his dog, and then he snaps into his senses, and he's like, "Why am I wearing this again? Not again! No!" <laughs> he's like, "As you could have stuck a magnet." So Russo that it is. He's like, "You could have stuck a magnet up your ass and drug us through Fort Knox, and it still wouldn't have drawn any money." Uh, <laughs> and then on the SmackDown, he comes out dressed as Leaf Cassidy and helps uh, British Bulldog win the Hardcore Belt from Big Boss Man. 
in Bull- I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, but in Bulldogs Weekend, well, we weren't getting SmackDown until early 2000. Uh, so no, that'll be right. that on the weekend, and then Bulldog gives it straight to Leaf Cassidy uh, at that point. Um, and funnily enough, there's a figure, <laughs> there's a set of figures from that match coming out quite soon. Uh, unfortunately, not Leaf Cassidy, just Bulldog and Bossman. But uh, yeah, Al Snow, he's great. He's up for a laugh, isn't he? <laughs> oh, he was always up for a laugh. <laughs> but, but like I say, if it was him and Candido on the show, they would have had a match of the night, but they were stuck on the pre-show with Cloudy. And uh, Jesus. yeah, so the... It was... And what I said about determined to ruin an event. <laughs> it just should be good. Well, the guns win that match, and quite rightly, because they're setting up the guns for a long, longish, by WWF standards, tag title reign at that point. Um, a great heel finish, though. And no pun intended, because he literally uses a Cuban heel. Yeah. But, like, I like that the weapon used is something that would knock you out, but it's not something that, like, proper kills kayfabe because it would kill you you know you can see someone get hit with a sledgehammer or like i think it's when big show gets a breeze block over his head a few years later i'm like oh come on man i never want to see a match end with a blatant murder weapon because it just makes it really stupid so just taking off your boot and whomping someone with it like that would really hurt and you'd win but you wouldn't kill them Mm. and at this point as well uh because the feud was probably as within WWF standards as hot as it was going to get, but they were still in the mindset of establish the feud on TV and then take it on the road. So there wasn't really the big TV blow-off match between the smoking guns. The blow-off was Phineas dumping the slop on Sonny, and that was kind of the end of that storyline, but that was still a Isn't couple of... Isn't that a bit of a lame blow-off, though? Just it's have a, a blow-off of- match and do that after it? Yeah. It's a couple of months down the line. And I mean, the, the Godwins would, wouldn't win the tag belts again until oh, uh, October 97, Bad Blood. And they only had the belts for two weeks at that point because they were transitional to get the belts on the LOD. Um, and arguably, LOD would have kept the belts for longer, but I don't think the New Age Outlaws were even a concept by that point. They were still, you know, Rockabilly and Jesse James. And, the, you know, then the change happened. And then the Godwins were pretty much out of the picture after that. Uh, but yeah, no, really enjoyed the match. And that is what, you know, besides the silliness, uh, 96, they really did up their game in the tag team division. And like I say, oh, definitely. Developed as you know, it's my favorite kind of wrestling. Yeah. So it's, it's quite fortunate, really, that I happened to get into WWF in 1996. And it's as they were rejuvenating the tag division, like if they didn't really have one. Or if it was still as it had been like the year before, for example, I probably wouldn't have got very into them, would I? Well, considering at, you know, uh, SummerSlam 95, King of the Ring 95, Survivor Series 95, WrestleMania 12, there were no tag title matches. Uh, you know, so they finally has tried to establish it again, but maybe too little too late. You know what I mean? You can only, you know, prostitute something or not use it for so long before people just ignore it for so long nobody cares about it yeah um Mm. but again sonny was the saver of this even though even though it's a very good match that feud without sonny wouldn't have had much to it well she's the sole story behind it really yeah so uh so what we got coming up next after that, I don't know if it was a Coliseum Extra or not, but we're bloody backstage again. Yeah. And uh, Cornet's in a blue and red suit shouting himself hoarse like some kind of furious Thomas the Tank Engine while Mr. <laughs> Perfect's getting changed in the background. That was on the that, event, yeah. Was it? Okay, because I figured it must be because it, it pertains to the main event, but like they're alluding to him being a biased ref. I couldn't help but find it really weird that 
Doc Hendricks hadn't noticed Mr. Perfect is about three feet away from him <laughs> until someone brings up another like, hey, how long have you been there? Like, there's one door and you're all in front of it. So he was clearly already there when you came in. Yeah, it was the commentators that brought it up, wasn't it? Like- <laughs> I, and then they're all like, hey, is Mr. Perfect three feet away from me? <laughs> I Bulldog love- proper stinks out that segment at the end because he's like, Shawn Michaels, you're mine in less than a few hours away. Yeah. <laughs> and he like shakes his hand. <laughs> and you can just see Doc Hendricks shaking his head. And you're like, is he shaking his head about Mr. Perfect being biased or about Bulldog fucking that promo? <laughs> I love his first line though about Perfect. He's like, if he'd dressed in Shawn Michaels' locker room, he might have got his wallet. You get his stolen. wallet nicked. <laughs> <laughs> And Vince is just like, oh my God, I can't believe he said that. He absolutely would not. <laughs> About my boy, Shawn Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't let you, he's underneath my table, not in my arse. <laughs> oh. I'd ask, have yeah. you bought that Sega Saturn blimp that was flying around in the arena? Uh, uh, no, wait, okay. Um... <sighs> They had two blimps. They had the arena blimp, which was used for different arenas? sponsors on it. Well, for <laughs> arenas, yeah. And they put different sponsors on it and stuff like that. Then they had the big WWF blimp, which they toured around. Actually, at the start of King of the Ring 95, because that was in the middle of all of that, they shot everything from the blimp, the outdoor blimp. And uh, that is the blimp that I have. Tom Buchanan, who I've interviewed in the past, uh, the head photographer, was a big driving force behind the blimp. Uh, and he wanted to skydive off it as well and i think he did do a skydive for wwf and for charity but i don't know if it was from the blimp or not but uh they really pimped the, they pimped the blimp um they, <laughs> they, they did like it was exhibit on that show <laughs> they, did, they did a whole marketing campaign and they did an inflatable blimp which i've got they've got did uh oh god they did blimp writing pads they did a blimp sticker with all the tour dates of the blimp and stuff they knew how to market the shit out of stuff people did not oh, a market machine like <laughs> Fucking blimp. Yeah. <laughs> I was being facetious, and then here you are, where it's got a full merch line. So here's 10 minutes on the blimp. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the arena. But I, I miss the blimp in the arenas, I've got to say. I think it's quite fun as well. It is quite fun. Uh, they would always joke that, like, Dink would be driving the blimp or whatever. But uh... you never know, the augmented reality at, reality at back soon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm actually really, it's going to get to the point where they just augment reality, the, the entire Manhattan center, just to please people like me, because um, they could probably do it at this point. But yeah, I, I don't know, it would be better. Maybe they'll that. augment reality, just different venues. It's just the same place all the time. It's like some kind of video drum. It would be better than the actual Manhattan Center. Oh, we'll do a show on that at some point. <laughs> oh, I know it's not exactly, you know, it's probably not old enough for us to, you know, really review it, but good God. But it'll definitely make you whinge and go on a lot of tangents. Um, <laughs> I can probably hang up on that show and you wouldn't even notice. <laughs> Yeah, at the end, I'm just like, it's like the Bojack episode with uh, uh, Sarah Lynn. Sarah Lynn? <laughs> Alex? <laughs> yeah, I'll be dead. <laughs> Talk to yourself, because you couldn't hear more talk about fucking 1993. Uh, anyway, anyway, what we got coming up next? <laughs> You've got the bizarre pairing of Jerry Lawler and the Ultimate Warrior. The Ultimate Warrior's hat must have died from being hit over the head with that uh, that lovely painting of Warrior, because the hat seems to be no more. Did that get its own pad and tour and all that? It might have got future endeavoured after the uh, after being hit over the head. Um, <laughs> or got its own 10-bell salute or something. It's getting a CT scan. Uh, so 
there is there is a lot of controversy surrounding the build-up to this match, and a lot of it is surrounding a hat. Um, on the self-destruction of the old because I didn't think much of it at the time, but if you listen to Warrior, I believe he wore the hat because he didn't want to get glass in him. I mean, which kind That's of... That's what I've heard, but... You can see the logic. You know, but... Who did uh, Jerry Lawler ever injure? That's true. Um... Uh, maybe Warrior had flashbacks to getting the scepter in his face because that did have bits of glass shards break out of it and stuff like uh, that. It's fair point. Who knows? Who knows? And and let's face it, Warrior. I don't think wrestling was his main endeavor in 1996. He was about he was trying comic- to sell comics, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, but don't get me wrong. I f- we've talked about this before. You 98 as well. I kind of consider it in terms of look reasonably the same. That period later on, but Warrior looks so fucking cool. Um, oh, yeah, I love what he's got like the jeans and the belt buckle and the duster jacket, like the space cowboy, as you put it. Like, yeah, ah, it's a cool and look. the sort of long dyed blonde hair as well. That wasn't a mullet, it was just long and stringy. And just um, even the colors, like he knew how to market himself and look good on TV at all times. He was a master of it. And one thing, I mean, you see it in 98 as well, but it, it's more obvious to me in 96 that he isn't as full on with the whole rocket ship from the moon and all that kind of stuff he was actually just talking like a just an angry man you know what i mean like sort of he's like I'm trying to be it. really eloquent and angry you know he's yeah. like i appreciate the time that you have taken to make this picture but <laughs> <laughs> well he's like at the king of the ring i'm gonna kick your ass like he would never have said that in like 91 or something like that and maybe mm, definitely just knew that he wasn't he, he was probably on such a contract that he probably could have pushed the lines a bit and he knew that he wasn't going to get fired maybe like who knows uh because he just stopped showing up that's why he got fired well no he didn't get fired yeah. he was like you can show up whenever you want and we'll pay you but we're not paying you if you don't show up that was basically the thing and he said that it doesn't that- make sense because then you advertise him and then he's not there I think after his last match with Owen, they stopped advertising him. And it was just like, if you want to show up, great. During the remainder of your contract and we'll pay you. But we're not going to, basically not going to advertise and show you. Another thing what he had a problem with was they used the Warrior logo at a trade show and he owned it by that point and they didn't get his permission. He'd owned it by a few years by then. I'm sure he got it in like 92 or something like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he kicked off about that. And the, the first... Uh, Warrior comic uh, showed up in the uh, oh God, I want to say the June uh, WWF magazine with Warrior on the cover. You got it for free. Uh, he made Vince basically buy a million of them for, at a dollar each and then just whack them all in the magazine. So I guess it was like a signing bonus or something like that. And then there were about five subsequent comics. And I don't know exactly how they were released, probably for his website or something like that. But he wasn't with the company when those came out. He tried um, to make it part of his contract. I think when he signed that they had to buy a certain vast quantity of the comics to sell and that's like mm-hmm. WWE. Well, that's what they did. And they put them with the magazine. Cause I think they, they potentially could have sold them, but I mean, warrior, all the warrior merch that came out during his time there, I think came out after he was gone, except for the King of the ring t-shirt. Cause he's the poster boy for that King of the ring. Um, mm. So uh, he's on the he's on the adverts, he's on the magazine covers, etc. Uh, but like the bandana, the T-shirt, the in your house game that he's on, the action figures, they didn't come out until long after he'd gone because he he was only there for maybe two to three weeks after this event. Um, 
so Lola legit painted that image, and it's a 1992 image, which has been used on a lot of merchandise. It was one of my favorite pictures of Warrior. Uh, smashes over his over his uh, bonds, and that sets up the uh, the King of the Ring match. And Warrior and Lola go back a long way to to the 80s and uh, in Memphis. I didn't realize that. I only think of him really in uh, in Mid South and in World Class. Yeah, he'd had a he'd had run-ins with uh, Lawler back then, uh, very early on. Like again, timelines all over the shop, but uh, Lawler was there during the early days of Warrior. Not for long though. No, I um, have no idea of that. But Lawler is at his absolute best as a heel on this entrance. I was just going to say about that entrance, like he comes out with these kind of standard dad jokes at first. And, you know, when he tells the women they're so ugly, they're turned gold dust gay and stuff like that. He <laughs> makes some pretty risque ones. You know, and he starts talking about um the, about the hockey team all yeah. being drunks. So, you know, like Craig McTavish had had a drunk driving vehicular manslaughter charge. And like Bobby Orr was like, oh, I'm trying to think of a comparison for uh, for our audience over here. Gaza for for I like like Gaza <laughs> or George Best or something. The amount right. of bother he went through with like women and drugs and booze and that. So it was quite risky when uh, when Jerry made that comment. God, I didn't know. The, I just thought it was because the Milwaukee Brew uh, Bruins and obviously, you know, oh, well the beer comes from Milwaukee. Beer, that, yeah, yeah, right? well, um, not all of it, but you know what I mean. It's just the beer place. Um, I, yeah, I, yeah, then. I just thought it was a reference. I didn't realize that he was uh, actually. <laughs> I assumed because you said the Bruins and that's the that's the hockey team. Oh. Oh. So, like, they, they they had some well-documented substance issues. Yeah. I think going from, like, the 70s or the 60s or something up to that point. So, I that oh, was a wow. kind of risque joke. See, I thought the most the most risque thing was the Goldust thing. It was It's women like you that turn men into people like Goldust and you hear the crowd go, ooh. <laughs> it, um, it's like some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, though. Sometimes stuff is a lot more sinister or a lot darker, but the reference is very specific. Yeah. And they, if people don't get it, they don't realise how harsh it can actually be. Yeah, and, and we may do something on that later on as well, because there's a lot. And we had a big uh, conversation I... with that about that today as well. But uh, Lola does not give a fuck here. Um, it's dad jokes, but if you see something like, uh, he's like, he goes up this fat girl and he's like, speaking of Burger King, you've had one too many trips there, haven't you? And she <laughs> puts uh, the bird, he... like, pulls the bird right in front of his face. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so he gets in the ring and starts talking about Warrior and he's like, uh, you know, uh, talking about when you frame, you know, the Warrior, next thing you got to do is hang him, which is pretty strong. It's kind of risky as well. Like. <laughs> I mean, oh God, um, maybe because it's something he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have went quite that far in 93 and 94 and 95. Um, maybe it is just one of those. I liked it though. You're like, allowed that's the to right be, level of risky. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Maybe, maybe not the goldest gay comment that dates quite badly, but talking about hanging him and like the some of the like fucking dark sports heat, like that, yeah. that's quite cool. It it does date quite badly, but I think oh, it, it sounds like I'm trying to make excuses for it, especially as a gay person. I, it's just Lola can say it. I think to a at least you know someone. he's being a heel. Oh, there is no line. I mean, I don't think he's going to be flat out racist or anything. And I'm not saying that like being homophobic is obviously any better, you know. Uh, but 
it seemed it's, like that it could be more homophobic. That it's not the Rainbow Express. You know what I mean? And it is bad as well because there are there were certain things you can still kind of mock fat people and you don't get cancelled, or you can mock old people and you don't get cancelled. They do it now. Look what they've yeah. just done to Viper. That's bloody awful. Yeah, they've like renamed her Pillsbury the Doughboy or something like that, and they've put her in a really <laughs> unflattering singlet. And I was just like, oh man, I used to watch you on the local scene loads, and I thought she was great, and she was a really nice lass. I've spoken to her, and I just I hated seeing her get used like that. Yeah, uh, back in the nineties, you could use the gay thing to get heat on people, as as we very much see uh, coming up. And um, oh god, I you know, and, and major was, gay panic coming up, like, and it wasn't uncommon to hear you know faggot being shouted by the audience and it not being bleeped out, or yeah, I mean, it wasn't acknowledged, uh, but even when they would when Sean was a heel and they would shout Sean is gay in '93. In New York, like Sean acknowledged it, and he would be like, you know, ask your mums how gay I am and stuff like that. Look at the dynamic dudes <laughs> oh, God, I... coming out, and everyone's just going "fuck it" at them when they're coming out. And like, granted, they look stupid and skateboardy, but still, oh, a great American Bash '90 because it's—is oh, it in Philly? It's—it it is. A... It's in Philly. Oh, like if you want to hear smart, hot crowd when Michael Hayes comes out and they're in the makeup in the spangly. Uh, onesies and all that kind of stuff, and you just hear Michael is a bitch. <laughs> Michael is a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, different times, I guess. But uh, yeah, right, so <laughs> Lola gets cut off by Warrior, who uh, and and the thing, one thing you didn't know, uh, they do mention it briefly, but on the countdown, uh, Lola has an interview where he says that he spilt coffee all over his hands, which is why they're taped because the burned hands. But obviously, he's got a foreign object. International, yeah, naturally, right. yeah. Um, so that is something that does get because he's already trying to make excuses to get out of the match and stuff like that, and uh, which is in keeping with his chicken shit heel character. Yeah, and and it's you know it's a, it's what you want from a warrior match. It's short. There's a lot of heat on you know uh, Lawler, and he gets the advantage on warrior. And there's lots of fun post match antics as well. Yeah, it's 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 Memphis, and it's Memphis and WWF. Like yeah. all together, it, it it literally is that. It's it's that ninety two crossover stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and and Warrior is so over that you you only need him to come out for the five minutes. But did you notice how poor the shoulder blocks look? That's there when you can tell that he's working with the injury because they are. You know, he does those tackles are always like part of his little routine, but they yeah. look really weak here. I need to see that again, actually, because I I um I didn't know that, uh, and it might say it might just be me, like. It might say something about. Together, but. It might say like something to why the match is short as well. But the match was entirely. We've done a time limit draw in the build-up to the tournament. <laughs> Imagine the Ultimate Warrior in a time limit draw. Granted, it's not like an hour <laughs> NWA time limit draw. I'm sure it's like ten minutes or fifteen minutes. But I'm sure he was in a time limit draw. I believe. Oh God, who was it with? It's Goldust, isn't it? Was it Goldust? I have a feeling. That that sounds right. Uh, that's what turned the ultimate warrior homophobic. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was listening to the Warriors comments and he was like, Yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, oh, but Lord stops <laughs> and just like, you know, they get backstage and they have like a beer together and just spout homophobia for the rest of the night. Um, uh, so yeah, the- homophobically ever after the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Lola, uh, one thing that they both do on the pre and post of, the, of this match is they both reference, they both go on the stage where the crown in the cape is. Um, Lawler is uh, 
not acknowledging that he's the real king or that there's going to be a t- pretend at the throne and stuff like that. He's just like, oh yeah, I like this scepter. It's better than the one I've got. So I'm going to nick it. <laughs> <laughs> and then post-match, Warrior just goes completely into business for himself, I think, and goes... When he gets the throne and that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> he puts the ha- he puts the crown on, which is basically a top hat. Aust- you yeah. can see why Austin was not going to wear that. <laughs> no, that would have killed killed that Stone Cold character. It made own heart because it's, it's own... You can crown. only put that shit on if you're a heel because it's yeah. Stupid. Yeah, it's it's owned crown from '94, and funnily enough, it's Brett's cape from '93. Um, so I guess they use them just because they were matching colors. Because if you notice on '93, Lawless Crown is a different color to the the robe to the purple robe. It's a yellow crown. And, I hadn't noticed. Uh, but it's one of Lawless Crowns that he was happy to be sacrificed by smashing it over Brett's head or whatever. Um, so yeah, Warrior puts the he just about puts it on, but he doesn't fully. I think he mm. realizes because that would be the the image that everyone would. One thing I do notice when I think when Lawless come into the ring, someone's carrying a huge RF video advert. Did you know? <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> like, that yeah. made me laugh. It's like written on good cardboard. <laughs> Surprised that that didn't try to blur that out or whatever. But uh... I saw something wild like that today. Just to cut to one side, this isn't wrestling related, but it is yeah. sport related. Uh, I saw a video at the day on Twitter and someone had a big cardboard thing like that was like an address written on. And they were just one of those wankers who's like an influencer or some bullshit. But they're like, they held the sign out at the Tour de France and it whomped one of the riders in the face and oh. caused a pair pile up and loads of people got injured and withdrawn from the race and that. Oh, bloody hell. I <laughs> just thought, my God, just like keep keep it to yourself. We all know that influencers are just like the shit on your shoe, but dear God, when they're ruining major sporting events. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That'll just ban, have every sign be banned from wrestling. Oh, from wrestling. Uh, from cycling. From cycling <laughs> at that point, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a short, and it, it was kind of, I, I hate to say piss break because it was entertaining, but it was kind of the, the levity, I guess, and just the little bit of like. It was an attraction. It was an attraction. Yeah, it was entirely... It's a throwaway fun match. Yeah. Uh, so what we've got coming up next? Yet another backstage segment. <laughs> right. This time it's Jake getting checked out in the dressing room, so it does seem relevant, but it's a Gorilla Monsoon's there explaining Jake's injuries in what's actually a good and sporty segment. It's yeah. like Monsoon's talking about how, like, I want a proper match, but if I have to, I'm coming out and I'm stopping this. Now, I can't remember off the top of my head whether this was a Coliseum video exclusive uh, because it's pertinent to the story. Um, and you've got Doc... Uh, I'm, they don't mention it being yeah. an exclusive, so I don't think it is because, as you say, it is pertinent to the story. Yeah, and and yeah, because he's like, I'm going to let him compete. Whether he, you know, if he wants to, then you know, it's up to him. And how many more chances are you going to get at that age, says the 62-year-old monsoon. You know? um, <laughs> they really make Jake sound old as fuck like that that was starting to annoy me i kept thinking like he is only 41 (laughs) like they're making the age thing sound pretty stupid by this point because they're going on about it so much like can you believe he can still move like that at 41 and it's like all of you people who are talking like that are older than 41 (laughs) none of you appear decrepit Owen's great though because he's just like oh, 61, 71, yeah, 101. Oh, he's getting <laughs> he's he's gets in the hundreds and that, but that's Owen being a bell, it's great, like that works. Yeah. Um, so I, I believe we're leading up to Take a Mankind. We are Take a Mankind is next, and I swear the Undertaker took longer to find the door for his entrance than the <laughs> entire Warrior and Lawler match 
combined <laughs> and then he just seems to like teleport to the ring because they're like doing they're doing the cameras on the entrance for ages while mankind's waiting and then the crowd start, start screaming it's like oh no he's still doing peekaboo teleport in 96 <laughs> and he's like waiting up on the top rope I reckon that's probably how the warrior learned how to telefart in his WCW <laughs> run in 1998. <laughs> it's just big poofy fart clouds, and then he teleports somewhere else. At, at that point, I was only get because I, I could only use the goodwill of my friends for pay per views. I couldn't get them to take me raw every week and stuff like that. At that, that point. does sound like a hassle. It does sound like a, yeah, it would have been. Um, so this was my first exposure to mankind, basically. Um, in- the best mankind as well. Yeah. Oh, Brown God. potato bag with Blair Witch symbols on it. Like, it's much better than, like, Mankind with the shirt and tie, have a nice day, chunky chucklehead. Like, yeah. I've much preferred this psycho character with the Twin Peaks music. Well, that's the thing, something I didn't realise, and I think that, or I didn't make the connection even when I read it at the time until I started watching Twin Peaks, is the thing about Mankind is he has different music when he enters the ring to when he leaves the ring, and that's the same as yeah. on Twin Peaks, isn't it? And um, they both like the Laura Palmer music. Yeah, because she has the like grim music about uh, dying, and then you get to the kind of like tragic music that's really pretty with the piano at the end. The the start of Mankind's music similar to the start of the Laura Palmer song, but the piano bit's nearly identical. It's it's beautiful though. It's a, a an example of. I mean, you know, it's a good job McFoley stepped in and didn't. He was like, I don't like the sound of Mason the Mutilator. Uh, not that this, <laughs> me no, would. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, not that the name Mason's uh, bad at all. Um, <laughs> but he knew enough to step in and go, right, what if we do this instead? And here's why. Because that's apparently what Vince likes to hear. You can't just have no ideas. Don't say it shit. Say how you could improve it. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, so this was my first exposure to Mankind. And then, as you say, with the Undertaker entrance, Vince is just like, hey, he's coming. And he, he, there's obviously no one behind Paul Bearer. And I don't know if Jim Ross has been sarcastic or not, but he's like, a purple haze is following Paul Bearer to the ring. Because <laughs> obviously Undertaker's not there. Um, <laughs> and then, it, like you say, it takes him about five minutes for them to realise, where's the Undertaker? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it, I mean, it, was, it was good. Like, because they never did the visual of him crouched on the top rope to strike is actually quite sinister. I liked it, yeah. Um, and they just could have they could have got there quicker, they could have. And and 96 is the yeah, I mean, even before Taker start changes changing his look, the the diesel and mankind feud bring out a more I don't want to say human, humane side to the Undertaker, but like a more slightly realistic, he's not just like zombie man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's a it's bit... like the character he becomes in '97 when yeah. he's like, that's probably my like favorite Undertaker period. Well, there's a bit of like you can see that he has motivation, like, there's vengeance in there, or there's a bit of hatred. Whereas early mm. Undertaker was just like, he was just stoic and oh, yeah, I'm a monster, yeah. basically. He's, and... he's a creature feature initially, isn't he? But he's like a character now, yeah. And I think Foley says, and it'd be hard to argue that. Undertaker's best ever punches were thrown at this event when he gets the upper hand on foot. I think it's actually in the, at the start of the match where he's got Mankind in the corner and he's in just the corner. laying into him. And they yeah. used that clip for years after that on like Undertaker promo videos or when... Foley Selen's amazing as well, though. You know, like he's kicking his feet up in the air and he's making the pig screams and all that. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. So good. It's a, for me, it's definitely a forgotten about Undertaker Mankind match because obviously everyone remembers the Boiler Room Ball, Hell in the Cell. Uh, 
all of the Undertaker Mankind pay-per-view matches in your house 14 is fucking great. And no one Which remembers that. that. Mind Re- games. No, no, that's for Sean. Revenge of the Taker. And this is the one where the big spot... I don't spot, think I've seen that one. It's the big spot where Taker <laughs> steps into Foley's head and he takes a dive head first into the announcer's table and he just basically makes a hole through the middle of the table. Uh, like never seen anything like that before and it was the first time that his mask got taken off in the WWF as well but it was also when the fireball went wrong which you might uh, re- fireballs. Mankind's trying to do it and the point is Taker was meant to duck and then he was meant to hit Paul Bearer Mankind could not get it working so Undertaker they never go right fireballs no. are the worst spot well it's, it's even worse it wasn't even that he couldn't get it working he did for a second and then he tried to throw it and nothing happened and the crowd went oh, oh. right and like Hogan's it, at Halloween Havoc oh it, it was arguably worse than that uh, oh, because really? they built it up so much and it was obvious what was going to happen um and then obviously Undertaker just takes it off and then just throws it in Paul Bearer's face anyway but it was it's pretty I felt bad for or everyone involved in that match at that point but uh but Besides that, the Survivor Series 96 match as well, like they never had a bad match, but I think this is kind of the forgotten match. And, you know, you have to. I don't know why, because it's great. You know what it is? The only thing people remember about this event, or talk about at least, is the Austin 316 promo. And this is the match that probably has the worst dirty done on it because of that. Because I thought this was tremendous. And to be fair, I didn't remember it existed. Yeah. And it's not the wildest match they ever had. Um, Some of the bits are though, you know, like there's a bit where um, takers like against the steps, and mankind runs and like knees his face into the steps. So <laughs> yeah. like he, he goes for the cactus elbow off the apron, and he gets chaired in the face by Taker, which is strange seeing like savage headshots in mainstream wrestling now. But that's only with the benefit of hindsight. Like it, it just looks shocking. Some of those bits. Yeah, it, it, it just shows you. Even though w- it's kind of mental because after King of the Ring, they went through that phase of bringing in the Smoky Mountain wrestlers and giving them all the gimmicks. But it really was like a tale of two cities at this point because you had Pillman coming in, you had Austin, you had Mankind, you, you know, you had all mm. these amazing talents. And, you know, then you also had, I mean, to be fair, they were all undercard names. They weren't like getting pushed to the main event. Um, and they weren't even used on pay per views a lot of the time. But you could really tell that WWF were trying to be fresh and different at this point. And they knew that they had to do some, I mean, NWO hadn't started at this point, but Hall and Nash were already there. And I think this was a, they knew they had to up the quality of the pay-per-view. It's the outsider's invasion at the time. You're right. Like yeah. the, there's no involvement from Hogan yet. Yeah. And, and the really, uh, I mean, the in your houses were there for the kind of more, you know, forgettable, events i guess maybe with one great match and a lot you know and those are the ones that bishop would always take the piss out of the next night like because in your house 12 uh it's time went up against starcade 96 and obviously ouch <laughs> yeah and uh, bishop was like oh god i watched that mess of a pay-per-view last night Woo! like you know um <laughs> so yeah the, the undertaker mankind match is great and paul bearer uh you know you uh, accidentally now, whether you look back on this now and he's planting seeds to his heel turn, accidentally hits Taker over the head, and then he Taker doesn't submit, but he passes out to the mandible claw, and yeah. that was huge. Back I then. thought it seemed massive to see Taker lose, and it wasn't huge shenanigans. It was just like an error. Yeah, but oh, Paul, to 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 put a light on Paul Bearer for a moment, mm-hmm. he winds the crowd up perfectly in a 
part that seems somewhat weird without context, where Taker's in a nerve hold and the whole crowd are chanting rest in peace. I thought, are they hoping he's dead? <laughs> Did they want him to die? Like, that's what's going on here? Oh. But Bearer is practically conducting them with that urn to get them chanting for him to break him out of the hold, and it's good stuff. Yeah, he. it's kind of a weird thing because that was a chant that didn't start from the manager or from the wrestler either. And I think Paul Bearer is a face manager and because when you're a face manager, you have very little to do sometimes, which is why... Except a lot of, what he's doing there. Well, yeah, well, that's why a lot of face managers also have props. So they've got something to just yeah. wave about or to hold or anything. So when that chant started, and I believe it started, I mean, I remember seeing it in 95, he knew enough to play off that and... I think it was almost like a gift for someone like him to be able to take and make his own and get the crowd going with it as well. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. It's an interesting mix as well where this is like The Undertaker getting into the, you know, like the boiler room brawl and all that, like you said. And it's like that next generation of Undertaker, but he's still in the, like, undead Olivia Newton-John purple leg warmers <laughs> and Marigolds look, and it's interesting to see the, like, different characters still with the old gear. I did uh, wonder, though, why does Foley run into the turnbuckle, fall on the floor, have a seizure, and then pull out all of his hair? Like, all I could think was, like, someone's just made him watch that zombie backlash match, and he's just, like, erasing his brain. But, like, <laughs> what, what, what was going on there? I guess he's just he's just insane, isn't he? He really like, rips loads of his hair out as well. Really does, like you know. But I, I, obviously, I think for someone with his pain tolerance, that probably was nothing for him to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, that was. I mean, in '96, nothing had been like that in WWF before. Someone ripping his own hair out. I mean, no, I no, it's a shocking image. I thought it was good. Yeah, and he didn't know if there was a story behind why he was doing it, or if he just being Raj. Just being Raj, I guess. I mean, it was obviously it's something that probably planned in character development over there, but there were things that you would take himself when he has the match with Michaels in September. Uh, mankind's trying to get some feeling back in his leg, so he gets a pencil and starts stabbing his own leg with it to get some <laughs> that's at mind games. Yeah, I remember oh, that. that's class. Like, that. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, they, they were starting to have main eventers who had real minds for wrestling and like and but could also have a top notch match as well which i mean brett's not even on this event but like you know none of them are mabel and you know nothing hugely against mabel but like they knew never to attempt a mabel thing in the main event ever again and i totally understand why they would push vader as quickly as they did even if he came out came off from being completely squashed you know, in WCW and continue to be buried months after he left as well. Like I'm currently right. watching like 96 Night Rose up to like April or something. It's like, oh, Flair beat Vader and, you know, fucking handed him his ass and he went running <laughs> his tail between his legs. And just, <laughs> um, yeah, the, the war was very much, uh, very much on at that point. So yeah. Oh, under- definitely. <laughs> the Undertaker Mankind match is, is great. And it, again, King of the Ring 96 is kind of one of those sleeper pit views that only gets remembered for literally one thing. And mm. I think well, there's actually a lot more to it. It does a disservice to everything that's going on, yeah, certainly. Um, so Speaking what got- of doing a disservice to the pay-per-view, <laughs> apart from getting yet another backstage segment, which is fairly throwaway, but you get a bit of art imitating life where Shawn Michaels is trying to influence the outcome of the match. But then we uh, we cut to Gold Dust and against Ahmed Johnson, mm-hmm. and it's another Gold Dust match that's booked around Vince McMahon's abject 
terror of homosexuality. Like, <laughs> this is Vince's image of what gays are. Gropey Oscar statues. How dare you be related to Dusty Rhodes? You're going to like glitter and you're going to like the shitter. Go. <laughs> Grope the Oscar statue. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go to sells the clothesline from Ahmed. So fun. Well, no, you know, he's a Monty Brown out of a cannon clothesline. Yeah. Oh, well, before we get into that, and I keep forgetting about things that happened on the countdown, but Jim Ross knocks on Ahmed Johnson's door. And you can imagine Ahmed and sort of his sort of leave me alone <laughs> like because he's like <laughs> mentally scarred off being like shagged by goldust on tv um he only kissed him i mean it's mouth- it's weird as well because in the segment it is mouth to mouth so it, then oh, later on why on. is he tonguing him in the match well when we'll get onto all of that um not in like some perverted android this way but like you know it was a bit of an eye-opener um <laughs> Ahmed, when I interviewed him, he was like, that was nasty. Because <laughs> um, Gold- Goldus was like tobacco chewing Texan and like his oh. mouth stunk. <laughs> and, I bet it did. and you can tell as a rib, because I mean, I would love to know who suggested to, to Dustin Rhodes, you've got a full on tongue, Ahmed Johnson. Um, <laughs> Brave and- man. And, who, man, and yeah, it. and who suggested that Ahmed as well? Whether he knew it was going to happen, because um, I'd call this on that bit. Oh, well, yeah, so Jim Ross interviews Ahmed, and he's literally like, "This is not a good time to talk." And he's like looking at Jim <laughs> Ross with those, you know, fucking eyes of rage. And then he just <laughs> closes the door slowly, and he's like, "Leave me alone." <laughs> um, <laughs> So Goldus, I mean, he's kissed, Owen knocks him out with a cast, which you see earlier on in the show. And, yes. Uh, Goldus, he takes his opportunity by seeing an unconscious man on a gurney. <laughs> he's just, he's like all of the other unconscious <laughs> men before this point were not good looking enough for Goldus to... Uh, yeah, all meds just as type. <laughs> so he's not just kissing him. He, you see him like sort of wiggle his mouth around as well and like proper sticky his tongue out and just like oh. really got and he's like rubbing on its chest and stuff it's just oh like it's entirely inappropriate but it, it i don't know it's just it was perfect for the goldust character but it was maybe as far as you could take it um, without him just literally shagging people, as he nearly did with Ahmed in that match, to be fair. When yeah, he's... when he slithers over him. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. Justin has referenced as well that as he f- thinks of Mania 12 as the the last great thing Goldust really ever did. Which and it's is just a, a fucking joke afterwards, isn't well, it? Well, last original Goldust character, because obviously winning the belt with Cody with Dusty in the corner and stuff like that, I'm sure. Oh, I am, I'm not counting post, like... The nostalgia gold dust. Yeah. I mean, um, the original run before he becomes the artist formerly known as and all that shite. So Ahmed um, gets really offended by it and he starts, he picks up Bob Holly and chokes him and he runs through doors and he like gans wild and knocks over cameramen and stuff like that. So, uh, and he, he starts the match where he left off because his music plays and he runs through the door and knocks both of the guards on the arses. That was a pretty cool visual, I thought. That was. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, a lot has been said, particularly about Ahmed currently, because it's 25 years since he won the IC belt, and uh, people have, like Pritchard did podcasts on them and stuff like that. And I think no matter what you say about... I mean, backstage attitude is a whole other thing, but you can't argue how over Ahmed Johnson was 
in 96 and 97. Oh, definitely. But even like in this match, you start to see the signs of why he'd get mocked. He, he just tries to do stuff that he can't do. Like oh. He goes for the Superman dive and it's just a burnt face man dive and he just goes head first into the ground. He nearly kills like, himself. Like, yeah. yeah, he nearly kills himself. And he does it again, savagely in the corner, but like at least the turnbuckle and then the apron broke his <laughs> fallen stages. <laughs> like I know that one was deliberate, but it's like, oh, just stop it, man. Yeah. You're massive as well. You don't need to jump around like that, <laughs> like, especially oh. since you're clearly killing yourself. The thing is, I think it's one of those things that because he was big and he could, he just did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he was, he was big and he couldn't though. Look at how close he came to killing himself. No, but he was hugely athletic, so he did the jump, but he had no Landing. concept of where his opponent was or where, where he was or where the crowd was or where the barriers of the steps or anything yeah. else was. He's just um, incoming. With a bit of control and someone maybe mentoring him, I guess. Not calling him up as soon, maybe. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, you know who brought him in? I don't actually. It was uh, it was Michael Hayes because uh, was they, it? They were in uh, Global Force. All right, together, and I mean, you just have, and Ahmed had done some TV and some. Uh, I think he did like a TV made for TV film or something like that. But he, I mean, just look at him. You know what I mean? He's Vince's ideal wrestler, uh, apart from him potentially being black. You know, I was going to say I've kind of never seen his... Vince be ideally into someone black, like. <laughs> but the. The push he it's got like, doesn't matter if he's black, we'll make him homophobic, and then I will like him. They could have made him champion and it would have got over, I think. Um, oh, I think it would have as well. And the crowd aren't racist, it's just <laughs> the presentation of the wrestlers. Um, but the, again, that's the thing that's forgotten is that he was really on that Ultimate Warrior Goldberg trajectory. Like, he was, you know, winning every match, he was unstoppable. Um, he was over, he was huge, looked good and everything, and but it was injuries. like And I mean, arguably now you would say unprofessional attitude, but I think Vince would have kept... Look at Sean. You know, Sean Michaels, I was going to yeah. say. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't think he was ever going to take Sean's spot or anything like that. Although if you listen to Ahmed on the interview, he did say that he was going to beat Sean. The, the thing is, he won a battle royal to get a number one contender shot. Uh, the day after SummerSlam, but between the Battle Royal and him facing Sean, he was taken off TV for the kidney injury. Um, mm. He might have been told he was going to win it, though. Well, Mero says he was told he was going to win it. I'm sure there were a lot of wrestlers who were promised the moon. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it just didn't happen for whatever reason. But you, but you do find that the ones who say they were promised the moon are the ones that are also basically exiled from WWF. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Goldust uh, gets. I mean, Ahmed's just destroying Goldust, and then Goldust gets the upper hand, and then he really pushes the the crowd's homophobia buttons at this point. When um, he slithers over him. Oh, I mean, he slivers over. Just a little thing of like, I think he's got a headlock on him or something. He puts. Do you know how you'd like maybe spoon someone in bed by putting your leg over? Them? <laughs> like he does that, Aye. and does, and that was one of the more I guess subtle things he did in the match. Um, Ahmed loved the kiss when he went for it though, because he started choking gold dust afterwards. So they were clearly ready to get into it. <laughs> well, that was the thing that woke him up, wasn't it? It was like this sort of uh, putting your finishing move on Hogan and having him Hulk up. All you got to do is 
smack Ahmed down there. See, Ahmed is actually Snow White. <laughs> you just need to kiss him when he wakes up. <laughs> I mean, Snow White might be the wrong term for Ahmed Johnson. Um, Silla Black? I don't know. True. Or um, Big Bad Johnson, as JR <laughs> misadvisedly called that's him. That's one Big Bad Johnson, yeah. Um, oh, I don't say that. There's, there's some, this, this match was a stinger for me. When you get past the homophobia, like... There's a hideous pile driver that they acknowledge on the commentary. They, he gets put in a sleeper hold, Ahmed does, and he, his arm drops three times. It's like, <laughs> yeah. did no one tell him that means you lose? Even Vince and Owen bring it up on commentary. And it's like, oh my God. You can tell everyone's like, Whoa. Do you think? Well, I mean, you can't even say that Vince lost his faith in him at that point because he was still getting title shots and pushed to the moon, apart from the I injuries. Mean, he's just definitely not ready there, though. He definitely wasn't ready. I mean, it, it just. Less than a month before, he had won the Kuwait tournament as well. Um, so I think he wrestled maybe three matches that night. And um, so, like you say, or like I mentioned before, uphill trajectory to the max in the pushed goal distance were kind of a nothing happening feud with Mark Merrow after that. Uh, Goldust was just floating about until the, the Hunter Hamsley feud when he eventually turned face. Um, and I think 96 for Goldust after the Intercontinental belt was a nothing happening period uh and mm. I th- and i think honestly it showed in I've, i don't know if he said he was mo- lack of motivation but he put on weight during that time and he- uh, look how fat he is when he comes into wcw it's sad seeing the state he is by then yeah he was up and down big with- he put the big in big t like the big t was how <laughs> oh, many no, no, massive no, t's he'd had to eat no i'm talking about goldust um goldust oh, i thought you're talking about how fat ahmed gets no, no, to goldust- be fair they, they do both hit the pies like <laughs> well, that's the thing. I'm not one. I, I can't criticize someone's weight gain or anything like that. But you can tell. Oh hell me, neither. <laughs> whether, whether they're being used or not, or whether they're being used in a way that they feel they should be, I think you can see the motivation go on certain wrestlers because they um, eat the feelings. Basically, yeah. Um, so uh, Ahmed's over as hell in that match, but it is a clash of styles. Um, and th- there is something that I liked about it as much as I'm shitting on this match because I did think it was shit. Mm-hmm. I liked the body part targeting. And like it's an, I have old school taste, so I always like to see a body part get targeted. But I like that the you know when he's doing them on the lower back, and he like whips him in the corner and then punches him in the lower back, and like they they do a few good spots like that to work on Ahmed's lower back, and he sells it well. Though I wish they'd give him bigger budgie smugglers to wear him when he's collapsing <laughs> on the ground and rolling around. It's like the one time he's trying to be dead homophobic while he's got like speedos that are wedged right up his ring piece. You're like, ah. <laughs> uh, again, speak for yourself on that. Um... <laughs> the crowd probably popped for the championship change though. Did so they, they actually can get behind a black champion as long as he beats a sparkly painted homosexual. <laughs> so yeah. If you notice during like all the gay bits during the match, there's people in the front row who are kind of like, they're not disgusted by it, but they're kind of like, I can't believe he's doing it. Like it's that kind of thing where they're like putting the cushion up against the face and stuff like that. It's more like cringy, I guess. It, but it is cringy and shocking. Like I'm obviously not disgusted by gay stuff, yeah. but it's so uncomfortably like sexual assault and slimy. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's what makes it uncomfortable. Like you're beating a guy up so that you can crawl over him and rub your dick on him and lick his face and that. Like that's appalling. Whether gay, straight, or to whatever gender you're doing it to, that's just appalling behaviour. You know what I mean? <laughs> and again, I mean, there's no reason, I guess, why. I, I, I guess it was never written in the WWF rule book that you can't molest your opponent. Um, well, clearly guess... not by some of the scandals they had previously. <laughs> oh, so. Uh... So yeah, Ahmed wins the belt and uh, 
does a photo shoot in some hot pants and uh a straight thing to do take your shirt off put on some tiny daisy dukes and roll around on the floor to take photos um yeah (laughs) and um he had the gold belt as well so like because if you notice Goldus had a gold strap around the belt and Mm. uh ahmed also did photo shoots with it but one thing coming off that um the story is is that Omeg got backstage and it was either the locker room or his uh, gear had been uh, had been vandalized and the N word was spray painted across the wall and stuff like that. And uh, that's fucking terrible. Yeah. Did they it, find out who did that? I don't know. I don't know. That's why. It, like, I certainly want to want to say names or anything like that. But that was that's what abhorrent. Like, yeah, that's what happened after that match, which is. Uh, which is awful. Um, but that it's, was... it's a shame because you get like a little, just a few seconds, like, but you get a very weird celebration group where Ahmed's back there and they're all showering him in beer for winning. And it's Aldo Montoya, one <laughs> of the Bushwhackers and Hillbilly Jim. Like, what a weird little friend group to be waiting for you backstage. <laughs> and... But you also, <laughs> just in that segment, you remember last week I kept talking about how King of the Ring looked like they were going to get abducted by aliens at any moment with that giant light? Yeah, there's this oh, fucking segment where a nerdy guy gets abducted by aliens on this one. <laughs> it's like the, the, he's abducted by aliens, and they're like, "Wait, in your house is coming on," and the aliens are like, "Cool, we'll watch it, and we'll also abduct Sonny." I was like, "Oh man, I, I like those adverts." I'll be honest, I'm, I'm almost certain that they were uh, Adam and George. You know the fans at Royal Rumble '97 who get the ones who are so dumb they turn up a week early and all that. Yeah, they use them quite a lot, and they were like. I thought he looked like one of them, but I didn't know if he was just a generic nerd of the mid nineties. Well, they they worked in the the office, but I mean, it's it's awful because it's a. a this is how of, they view their fans. So they view their fans, yeah. But I, I thought it was cool that Sonny got like beamed into the living room and stuff like that. It, it was actually fun. I'm just taking the piss because it's it's so topical. That <laughs> I haven't seen this event since 1996. I don't think. <laughs> like I was talking about the aliens in the third one, then there were literal like. X-Files aliens in this King of the Ring. It's like, oh. See, where, I thought, where I thought you were going to go with the spaceship thing was the fact that they had a giant spaceship crown over the ring the entire thing. <laughs> there was a fucking regal flying saucer, wasn't there? They never did that before or since. And it, it looked cool, I guess. But like... They did a lot of things that year that look cool that they don't do again. Like that's when they're beaming those lights. I love those lights where they've got the different gels on for the shapes yeah. and that. Yeah, well, that mania, they, they put the, the only time they've done it, they put a design on the apron or on the yeah. sorry, on the canvas. The big um, explodey warrior symbol as well. Yeah. I don't remember them doing that at the times. It looked mint. Yeah. No, it did. It did. Um, so wh- where did we go from uh, the Intercontinental title match? We go to the King of the Ring final. Was there any Coliseum video? Oh, no, there was the backstage celebration, there wasn't there? <laughs> There's the backstage the- celebration, but that lasts for <laughs> seconds. But then you get the bit we've covered in the archives where Pillman maniacally oh. limps to the ring and he's like, ah, I understand why Dharma ate people and I'm going to rape, pillage and plunder <laughs> the entire Fed. Yeah, whoop, yikes. He <laughs> and comes then you get to... the stare down that we've talked about before. Uh, he comes out to no music, uh, and but he doesn't need any music and he just makes a complete... What I love about that sort of mid to late 96, especially on the pit views where he's there and he isn't on many of them, you forget he's in WWF and then he shows up and you're like, oh, <laughs> like yeah, WWF's yeah. class, like Brian Pillman's here, Mint. Um, I love that he still manages to look psychotic and dangerous on crutches. He's like yeah. <laughs> coming out on crutches, he's like, <laughs> he's like snarling and that. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, so much has been talked about that the car accident and how much bad timing. We, we've done think, like three hours on it. Yeah. 
Um, but it just, and, and we'll probably talk about it last time, but I think it just shows how much of a of the moment star Brian Pillman was that they would still bring him out with the crutches. And, you know, because normally you would just leave them until they're ready to come out and actually make a, an impact. But he does that promo and then doesn't really do much else for the rest of 96 until Austin attacks him. Mm. Um, I love the stare down though. I still love that. Oh, the little yeah. allusion to the Hollywood Blondes, like one of my favorite teams. I wouldn't be surprised if Vince thought that Pillman was going to be back much sooner than I'd reckon say as well. He may, he may give the impression because I mean, I, I, I can't remember if something else happened to Pillman like late 96, which is why Austin took him off telly and then they did the gun thing and all that. But, um, there must have been something else that prolonged the injury, I guess. Um, but it was him trying to wrestle on it too soon, is what I remember. I don't know. Well, he didn't wrestle in 96. Uh, well, I mean... I, I, but wasn't he trying? I, I, I don't know if I'd heard wrong, because I still haven't read that book, by the way, which I really need to. Yeah. But um, I, I'd heard that he was trying to get in the ring too soon. So right. what, what I deduced from that is that's when you're trying to train and you're trying to figure out what you can do, especially, you know, you used to be flying Brian and now your foot is absolutely fucked. Yeah. So my impression was he's trying to find ways and train to get back in the ring, and that's exacerbating it. Uh, more than likely, more than like, well, that was the thing he never liked really doing the commentary thing because he felt like his he didn't want to feel like he was past it. I mean, wrestlers have said that that like the worst thing you can tell a wrestler is like you're too old or you're past it and something like that. And um, even though it's the theme of this show with Jake Snake. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how much Jake was probably happy being... Maybe he was just happy for the job at that point in 96. Um, and in a featured role, even if they keep calling him an Algaji. He was. Well, I mean, was it... Um, it, it, it Austin does his entrance, and then I believe they cut back to Jake with Doc Hendricks, don't they, backstage? And he's just like, oh, praise the Lord, and hopefully I win this match, and I'm doing it for my family and the Lord. Like, and they've just like taped his ribs. It might have actually, it, it was, it might have been before the Vader, match, but they do do an interview with Jake when they kind of hype up the religious thing at that point. And so Aust- I didn't notice that on this network version, mind. Right. Okay. Um, no, that definitely does happen. And um, I could have been unobservant though. It was during that time, I think, when Pillman was out and Austin just got stitched and he was just like, I've got nothing to say during the coronation. And then apparently, I believe it was Doc Henry. Like, please correct me if someone knows this, but Jake takes credit for it. But I've also heard Doc Doc Hendricks says to him, "Well, say something about you know John three sixteen, um, mm-hmm. and that's apparently where that came from." Uh, so the the Jake, no, he, thing- he mentions John three sixteen because he's like, "Talk about your Psalms, talk about your John three sixteen. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but apparently that was Michael Hayes, depending on who you believe. Um, so Jake is very much the underdog here, and he's coming out barely able to. It's pretty much the most wrestle. famous like biblical verse as well of the yes, New so. Testament, at least. Anyway, for for interest, the three sixteen is a uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whoever believeth believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, which is somewhat different to Austin <laughs> just whipped your ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, well, Austin, this is the first to me uh, real sign of what Stone Cold Steve Austin would become because he's mercilessly going after Jake's ribs and they're really smart I thought to that like, was meant like 
Yeah, and they tie up Jake's ribs and make it really obvious that he's injured and stuff like that. And uh, Kept it short as well, which was really sensible. You know, he pulls the tape off straight away and starts whamming them elbows into his ribs. Yeah. And Monson... I thought that was like telegraphing that Jake would overcome the odds the first time I saw that as well. Yeah, so It starts to feel like Rocky IV or something. Yeah. Um, well, Monsoon comes out, and especially when Monsoon comes out and does the yeah, whole, it's do, do you so want to rocky by then. Yeah, and then, <laughs> I guess it's kind of a swerve because Austin just then wins. <laughs> I definitely like, thought it was a swerve, and he's like, "No, no, I can continue." Then he just gets fucking stunned out of existence <laughs> and pinned, and you're like, "Oh, downer ending." But again, that like really helps build up. Like Austin gives no fucks and has no conscience at this point, and he'll and do it makes him stone cold. Yeah, that makes him like the killer character. Yeah. No, nah, it's great. Um, so, yeah, Austin... A little was- harsh to bring up uh, Jake's alcohol abuse in the promo, though. Okay. <laughs> He's like, get that piece of shit out of the ring and buy him a bottle of Thunderbird so he can recover his courage or words to that effect. I was like, fucking hell, man. You've spent the whole time calling him old, and now it's like, ah, don't forget he's a fucking alcoholic and he's a piece of shit. Get him out of here. It's like, oh, Jake, I love you. God, you're going to hate the Jerry Lawler, Jake the Snake feud. Have you not seen that? Uh, I have seen it at the end. Yes, I do hate it. <laughs> oh, he pulls real Jim Beam into his mouth, you know? Yeah, I really hate that. Really, yeah. really hate that. That was really bad. Um... And Lawler was like, you give no impression that it wouldn't be fine. It's like he's a recovering alcoholic, mate. Yeah, how the fuck did you not figure that out, <laughs> Jerry Lawler, person who never drinks ever? Oh, yeah. We, we, we might have to do, like, most tasteless angles at some point, maybe. Um, yeah, totally. That would definitely be up there. Um, that would be, like, a fucking nine-hour show. <laughs> You'd have to split that by by different promotions, like. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, so, you know, I couldn't help but thinking in this, though. Can yeah. you imagine if one of those soap-writing shitbags, like that woman who doesn't know who the fuck Bobby Lashley is, <laughs> had written that promo? <laughs> There's no 316 shirts getting sold or anything like that. It would be like, for Steve, so loved the world. And they'd be like, oh, no. It would have no. been the, the scroll King Mabel speech. From the end. <laughs> yeah, probably. I hereby... Yeah, 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 yeah. Writers suck. Even now, in wrestling, not in life. <laughs> <laughs> well, even now, that's still one of the most, like, excruciating things to watch. Because Mo, I don't know if he's doing it on purpose or not. Because, like, Jim... Or, Vince, or Doc Hendricks or whoever is like, you know, he's not going to win any awards for speed reading or anything like that. Um, <laughs> but, like, Mabel's getting kinds of coke thrown off him <laughs> and Mo, he's probably wait, maybe Mo was doing it as a rib just to see how long they can do it for and Mabel's having to sit there not moving um, but if you want the antithesis it's so embarrassing that really I've only is. ever seen that King of the Ring once it's one of the worst shows I've ever seen once is enough but we may we may <laughs> maybe next oh, year please if no. <laughs> so if you want the complete antithesis of that you've got Austin coming up not at all acknowledging the crime or the cape or the scepter or anything like that he doesn't sit on the throne and doc hendrix is like so congratulations you're the fourth king of the ring he doesn't even acknowledge doc he's like the first thing i want to be done is to get that piece of crap out of the ring <laughs> That's don't it. just get him out the ring get him out the wwf <laughs> I should have said that to Doc Hendricks. Is like the, the, that's what Michael Hayes has become. You could tell Brian Pillman wasn't truly the loose cannon he'd been in WCW because he comes out and Doc Hendricks is there and there's no way he wouldn't have given him any amounts of shit for transforming yeah. from Michael Hayes into that. <laughs> oh, so yeah, and It's very rare, especially during that time, that you, you can know a, a, a promo verbatim. But... Uh... 
Yes, it is beyond iconic. That there's literally not a word wasted on that promo, and it's not that long. And it gets him over, and he's like, "I'm going to fix and uh, fix and to start running through all the WWF until I become champion." And you know, and that was the first time I recall hearing the words, and it's lame as fuck now, but hearing the words "crap" and "ass" on WWF television. And it, it did get the reaction from the audience. And Doc Hendricks was great as well. He's like, I don't think that's He's necessary. like, there's no need for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just, oh, it, it, it seems overstated now, or maybe even overrated in some ways, because WWF, it's one of their literally crowning moments. And, but and also it, then they inevitably do it to fucking death. Yeah, till you're, till you're sick of seeing it. Del like Boy I am with a bloody Gaza girl from Euro '96. <laughs> the BBC and ITV show it constantly now, and I'm like, you're making it less special. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, it's 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 superb, and and the fact that you see Jake being held back in front of him as well, and once he stops talking about Jake, he just goes on a different direction and just doesn't even acknowledge Jake anymore. He's just yesterday's fucking news, and yeah. uh, it's. It's superb, and it just makes you wonder why he's left off the next two or three pay-per-views. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> WWF to a T. Um, and, and until, you know, they obviously build up the Bret Hart thing, which kind of seemed to have come out of nowhere where he's just started challenging Bret. But uh, Bret wanted to work with Austin as well, and I think you could probably tell that, yes, he's won the King of the Ring, but why has he won it if you're not using them for anything? Um, but yeah, superb, superb. So uh, we'll lead into the title match. Uh, but yes. is, there, is there anything before that? Not that I saw on the okay. broadcast of it that I watched. It goes to Bulldog, <laughs> which I've written on my notes as British Bulldog versus Owen Hart, which is definitely not what this match is. <laughs> but I know why I've written that, because this is British Bulldog against Shawn Michaels. <laughs> I think you said it might just be the way it's cut. But, like, <laughs> Davey is so incensed with Owen during this entrance, by the way it looks. Like, Owen's standing up and he's going, that's my brother-in-law, he's wonderful, he's a great wrestler, my sister's beautiful, and he's clapping, and he's like, bravo, Davey, you can do it, bravo. And Davey's leaning out of the ropes, absolutely foaming at the mouth, pointing, and he's like, you better fucking not fucking talk to me. And he's, like, pointing at someone, going absolutely wild. And then it keeps cutting back to Owen, being like, I love you so much, Davey, and it's cutting back, like, listen here, you little cunt kind of stuff. And you're just like, what the hell is going on here? Like, to me, that was just like, did Davey and Owen have some kind of feud? Because it makes think, no sense. I think that's potentially just poor point of view camera. You know, um, do you know what? Like on a football match, you would never see the camera on the other end of the pitch because it would look like the plane in reverse sort of thing. It's yeah, yeah. Probably a bit of that going on, I would imagine. But Owen is so good. <laughs> so it's bad editing. It is bad editing, but Owen stood on the table. He's brilliant. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, he is. He's great. It just made me very confused. <laughs> they really stacked the odds against Sean as well, because you've got Perfect as the ref. Uh, you've got Diana, you've got Owen, you've got Bulldog, you've got Cornette. And, uh, this is such an F- uh, example of what I was saying earlier, where you've got something great, and it's like, how can we ruin this by throwing everything at it? They do throw everything at it, but I don't think it ruins it. For no, me. but I, no, they, they transcend it with like a truly incredible match. Yeah, they well, there's do. a I, lot of bullshit. Like, what the fuck's an outside of the ring referee? <laughs> like, do you only ref when you're outside, or do you only ref when they're outside? But in which case, they're getting counted out by the other ref. Like, what's this shit? Well, J- Jim Ross was smart to mention that perfect was a bit of an 
uh, unreputable referee because he's like, do you remember WrestleMania 10? I do. <laughs> like, I was yeah, sad uh, home watching. Is, which is great. Yeah. Because um, the thing is, it's mentioned in Luger, basically, who he screwed. And obviously, you can't mention Luger in 96. Um, but anytime, it was funny, anytime Jim Ross would mention WrestleMania 10, especially in 96 when he's becoming a bit more heelish, he's like, I remember WrestleMania 10. I was sat at home watching that when I was fired. <laughs> 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 uh, so, but yeah, Gwilin Wonsoon comes out and basically says, perfect, can still be the referee because it's in the contract but he's the outside the ring referee but i love how badly the heels take it and jim ross is like well if he was meant to be fair why are you pissed off that he's, <laughs> yeah you know, Owen's so- going so insane <laughs> he's like, you said he's going to call it down the middle so it's irrelevant <laughs> um so yeah sean and bulldog superb uh I, I, there's no such thing as a bad sean michaels and british bulldog match in my opinion i can't think of any like any and bad the- ones i mean yeah, and this is potentially for me their best one. I know a lot of people say one night only. Uh, nah, this was one of my favorite favorite WWF matches yeah. for a lot of years. This I think it's tremendous. There's so much to it as well. It's not even just the work rate. It's the things you know, like Diana is so good at telling the story with her facial expressions and like the at least where they have too many people around the ring in that. At least they're all people who are good at telling a story. Yeah. You know, like people like Jim Cornette. Although he looks foreman when Sean starts spanking him with a racket. He's like, spank the wife, not me. <laughs> I think this is one of the first times I saw Bulldog do that incredible in the corner where he does the front flip and then bounces backwards. Yeah. That, that's the first time I saw that as well. And he gets like whipped in there and he flips over into the buckle. It's ridiculous. But what's sad though is by like 1990,000, he tries to do it again and he's obviously knackered by this point. And but he's he, that warrior trapdoor's done him by then, isn't it? It has. And he's, he nearly breaks his neck trying to do it at that point. But Bulldog is just, he had a peak, but he had a peak of like almost like 10 years, it seems, where just no, unless, I mean, there was the occasional stinger against Nash or whatever, but like, when he needed, I wonder to, who's to blame for that. <laughs> when he needed to pull the rabbit out of the hat, it was just because I mean, Jim Ross, I think, unfairly, years later, said, Oh, you know, by '96, there was only so many times we could repackage they someone repackage like British Bulldog. And it's just like, sad. I don't think they were repackaged, they just turned him heel, and it was something that was needed because they needed good heels at that point. He, he didn't need to be repackaged either. Like, I was nope. just watching Fall Brawl 98 the other day, and like when him and Nightheart are coming out as a tag team together, people are well happy for that. Yeah, and he's got the like union flag trousers on and that. And, like, you don't really need to repackage him, no. And you know, I know a lot of people like the sort of 99 2000 jeans bulldog, but it, it wasn't for me, I've got to say. I think it was a it made him seem less like a star. It did make him seem like, well, I mean, they pushed him right down. the When he, the first brought him in, he was feeding with The Rock and he had a title match and stuff like that. And he threw the bin off Stephanie's head. And um, <laughs> it just, for, I mean, this was literally around the time Russo left. So maybe Russo was behind this, the push. And then once he was gone, certain people slid down the card. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that's just the crack with when any new, even on a soap, you see, characters get used less depend or killed off if a new mm. writer comes in and stuff like that so yeah bulldog was um i, I was glad to see him back in wwf at that point specifically yeah. as a wwf fan i was just glad to see him back but uh he and i love chatting with georgia and everything but I, you know he wasn't the same as he was in even 96 97 at that point he's, and, he's still tremendous in 96 he does some scary shit yeah. You know, when he gets Michaels up for the gorilla press and oh. he runs backwards and drops him over the top rope, like fucking hell, yeah. that is 
terrifying. Well, and I hate to like just presume, but I mean, Owner died by that point. There were a lot of tragedies going on. I mean, you could, Brett was certainly not as motivated as he was. Owen wasn't as motivated as he was after Brett left. You know, it's yeah. it seemed like the the light had been taken out of the entire family to a point. Um, mm. You know, I, I think they would all say that that ninety seven Heart Foundation year was about as perfect as it got. And I will cry now watching that Canadian Stampede where they all come out at the top of the ramp and they're getting the heroes welcome. And there's only we Brett should left. do that show. So oh, we always say that. Yeah, we definitely will. Um, so yeah, Bulldogs just. Absolute top notch. One thing I love though is if you watch that match out of context, if you're a kid or whatever, you'll be wondering why are the little gold bits of glitter everywhere? Because <laughs> 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 they, I can't believe wrestlers didn't choke on them the amount that they surrounded the ring, but they were like, like sequins to... that had fell out the sky. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so it was from gold ascendants for the, I'm mean, sure everyone knows, uh, but they would be stuck to the wrestlers at that point, and it was kind of weird. Uh, to see that, but uh, yeah, the Sean Bulldog match. Yeah, I mean, it was a clean finish as well. It, well, mm. kind the referee of, thing yeah. generally detracted from it for me. They are well, putting on this amazing match that needs none of that shit. Yeah, like, pretty much the only thing I noticed Mr. Perfect do as a referee was tell off Jose Lothario when he's outside. Well, like, there's he, even a bit where Hebner takes the inevitable dreaded ref bump. Mr. Perfect's referee just doesn't come in and take over. Well, yeah. Well, the, the the context for Perfect being the ref was because Hebner took the bump the month before. They were like, we need an actual man to, you know, who won't get pushed around. Who's durable, yeah. Durable. And they did this brilliant thing where uh, Clarence Mason, uh, Cornette's attorney, was at ringside and he gets escorted to the back on a roar by Monsoon. And Monsoon taps him on the shoulder to escort him back. And then Clarence Mason the next week comes out with a neck brace on and he's just like, I'm going to sue you. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, that's tremendous. <laughs> and it was like, well, you know, either I sue you or you give us some, you know, uh, leeway for this title match. And the leeway was they could handpick the ref. And, you know, uh, so really, because they did that, that's why they acknowledged Perfect is the ref because he's legally the ref, you know, otherwise... Monsoon gets taken to court. If this was in 99, they would have went with five weeks of Monsoon in the courtroom. <laughs> I was just thinking that. That would have kind of been just Monsoon telling the judge, will you stop? Like every five minutes. <laughs> will you be serious? <laughs> um, well, it would have got Judge Judy as well. <laughs> oh, could they yeah. have thrown more shit at the end of this though so you get like the ref bump he doesn't take over and then like Hebner counts the pin and so does Mr Perfect from outside he just leans in open and he's like don't forget me and counts the pin and then you get running city it's like Ahmed Johnson gets involved Owen Hart, Jose Lothario Vader, Cornette and the ultimate warrior takes so long to make the save, Vader has to act like he's got vertigo and he's on the top rope he then gets up and he's like bounce bounce, bounce, bounce yeah. bounce, I'm still bouncing, oh I'm getting dizzy, there he is <laughs> <laughs> um, and there was no acknowledgement that Ahmed or Warrior were Sean's mates at this point um, and they weren't really it's just weird wasn't it? it it was kind of weird uh, they were just I, I don't know who feasibly could have came. I mean god imagine if like Diesel and Razor had come back <laughs> brought the fake ones out <laughs> um, just leave on a, the most confused note ever um, I, I think that ending is the only reason people don't look at this match the way they look at like Sean versus Brett or Steamboat versus Savage and the, you know and the the 
inevitable legendary WWE match accolades come out. Mm-hmm. I think it's because you get all this silly shit at the end of an absolutely just grade A wonderful match. And like the finish exists only to build to another event. So that's like, yeah. I, like were Bulldog and Sean not meant to have such an incredible match? Because it, it makes the stuff that happens afterwards just feel cheap to me. It, it does. I think it's worse when they do the double pin the month before to build up the King of the Ring. Uh, yeah, I didn't even know that. So that would have soured me. Like, yeah, at least this time there is a there is a clean finish, and you know, there's you know, there's obviously the after show bits and the building up Vader at this point. But I, I guess it was <laughs> not just, for long. Well, no, and I, I'm guessing it was a case of just that what WWF booking was becoming at this point. Um, you know, they were already thinking about the next month or the next two months by putting it, tagging it at the end of the the event you've just watched. Um, and on and not on the DVD, but I've got the live live version from back in the day. So I saw it is the post show, which is something that they did for a few months in 95 and 96. And it is on the network as well, isn't it? Yes, I believe so. Um, so basically, there's like the little interview bit backstage. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Um, yes, that is on the network, definitely. So the interview, uh, well, the interview monsoon because he builds up the six man tag for the next month. It uh, international incident. Uh, I can't honestly remember off the top of my head who else they interview. They don't interview Austin, but I guess that would have maybe detracted from his one promo that he did that night. Uh, but it, that was the purpose of that, to really uh, build up the next month. And uh, I guess it did its job, you know. And But obviously between then and the next month, Warrior disappeared and they had to get Sid back in as, uh, as quickly as possible. But there's a... On YouTube... <laughs> <laughs> Just have to have a big guy who looks cool and can't work very well. Be quick, bring Sid back. Well, it would have made sense for them to use Yoko. Um, yeah, really. you've, got, you've got monsters who can wrestle, Yoko or Vader. And he's feuding with Cam Cornette at this point. And I think he was back from the, the supposed leg injury because he went to the, the fat farm, basically, to try and lose weight. And, um, but he was still I thought on you t- meant like the Godwins had him out in the field. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was still on TV at this point. But, um, yeah, but there's a... Uh, I don't know if it was just an international uh, syndicated or, or, or a syndicated uh, promo, but it's Sean, Ahmed, and Warrior. And Warrior has no face paint on, and he's got his... Warrior University hat on with the jacket and everything, and oh, it, it is a very, very weird. Like Sean is doing his best with Warrior here, uh, but it's too much of a clash of styles. I mean, the the, the and last times, absolutely in times. I mean, the last time I remember <laughs> Warrior, apart from the pay view, the last time I remember something daft with Warrior and Sean together, you might have seen this was before Survivor Series '89, where it's Warrior the Rockers and Jim Neidhart as the team against the Heenan family. And they're all taking turns speaking. But during this, Warrior is undoing his wrist tape and tying it around every person in the interview. Oh, I have. Have you seen that? Yeah, just what's he playing at? That reminds me of that. You know, when I told you that thing where Jim Duggan's like determined to ruin the promos backstage when they're doing the votes for who's going to wrestle Sting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and he's just going, rah, 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 running across the camera. It's just like that. Yeah, I think uh, Sean was probably uh, not exactly sad to see Warrior uh, go at this point. Um, 
But yeah, that's... I mean, I imagine Sean was happy to see any top guy go. People, <laughs> people talk a lot about the like, rightly so, about the that doesn't work for me, brother, Hogan yeah. attitude. But Sean Michaels gets a free pass from a lot of people for being a meddling backstage absolute shit hawk at that time. Yeah, uh, Vader. I mean, he didn't want to wrestle Vader. I mean, and we've seen what happened. You're right, basically, and when he Big kicks him in the head for not moving and stuff like that, and it's just. Vader should have fucking braided. <laughs> it wasn't, and, and no sentimental. But it, you've obviously seen Vader stand hands and all that, where they braid each other. If this co- if, now you're talking. <laughs> well, if if this cooperative brain, <laughs> and Vader's completely into it. But if he knows that you know politics wise with like Hogan and with Michaels, he will try and be as gentle as possible to the point where I'm gonna, it's something Cornette has also said. Vader can get his, given. But he can get his feelings hurt as well. Um, and he remember when he nearly paralyzed that jobber in WCW, he was a sobbing wreck for ages. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, it, there's a story of uh, Vader didn't know the pyro was going off on a raw, and uh, he starts screaming like a baby because he's like shits himself and starts rolling around the floor. Like, he gets proper anxiety by the sounds of it. Um, he, he did, he used to have a lot of anxiety about his weight as well. That's sort of sad on WWE going with I'm just a fat piece of shit. Uh, angle. Well, that's when they were weighing him as well. And uh, Paul Bearer tells the story that they wanted to start weighing everyone who was overweight, including Paul Bearer. And he's like, my weight has nothing to fucking do with my performance. So if you want to weigh he's me... Not a, he's not an athlete. He's no. not an active participant. Yeah, he's like... He's start you... weighing the backstage crew. <laughs> well, he's like, if you want me to weigh in, I'll weigh the fuck out and not come back. <laughs> yeah, I'll find me way out the door. <laughs> and they didn't weigh him after that, thankfully. Yeah, but, fuck um, that. Yeah, uh, but I, I, I guess... Imagine weighing Yokozuna. <laughs> well, no, to be fair, I think it was very obvious what they had to do with him uh, to the point where he was like... You know, I, I keep going back to Corner because he tells a lot of stories about this, but he was like, his legs were fucked from chafing. And, um, oh. you know, he was just... He was in such... You know, a lot has been said about Yoko at that point as well, but... Um, Bless him. But you got to remember, I mean, Vader came in with a separated shoulder and that's mm-hmm. why he had to take the month off as well. No wonder he put on a bit of weight. But, I mean, good on him. He lost the weight by 97. And, he, God, now stopped him from doing their moonsaults and hitting them and uh, taking body slams and doing everything that he was, you know, I guess, asked to do. I'd, I don't think, once he realised there was no way he was getting the belt, I don't think he took his run in WWF very seriously at all. And they I were treating him like shit as well, like... I'm obviously biased. Like, yeah, no, they were. They were Vader, like Vader's, one of the, Vader's one of the people who got me into wrestling. And I even only really started watching WWF because I found out that's where Vader was. Yeah. <laughs> I'd seen the odd tape with other people, but like, and I thought they were cool enough, but it, it just wasn't as much my thing. You know what yeah. I mean? And then hearing Vader was there, it's like, shit, maybe it is my thing. Yeah. And then it still wasn't. <laughs> well, I can't. The plan was he was meant to win the belt at Survivor Series, and that was meant to be the second of three matches, and then lose it back at the Rumble. Uh, but SummerSlam pretty much took care of Vader's push at that point. And then, like I say, I mean, there's one, I can't believe they put this on the Unseen Matches DVD, but it's one of those 30 second squash matches where Sean just beats Vader at the end of the night. Mm, and I'd I'm like just, that to remain unseen for me. Like, I think there are certain things that. 
certain wrestlers. I mean, I, I think Vader might have been gone by this point, but like, you know, it's like when they do top 10 shit as gimmicks and they put whoever at number one and he might still be working the indies with that gimmick and that might be putting fucking food on the table for him. Like, oh, it's horrible, isn't it? That's the thing I don't like about if they celebrate their past and celebrate the gimmicks and stuff like or bring them back for a gimmick battle royal or whatever. But when yeah, they, I was going to say that's that's uh, <laughs> what we're doing. It's yeah. fun. Rather than like, this was fucking shit. This guy but, sucks. And at least it's given the wrestlers a payday as well. When they open yeah. the... That, oh, and, oh, this is a whole new thing. But like this is lot I mean every podcast does it now and it's and it's always worse when it's with someone like Jim Ross who was there at the time and he's slagging off something that you love you know what I mean it's just <laughs> this is honestly why I can't listen to a lot of these podcasts because it's just like oh like you know I the fact that he wasn't having a good time or didn't enjoy a match or whatever or tells me that someone was off his face or what it's just like I don't know like I but it, obviously it's become the thing to do and every podcast now I think prefers talking about the real life thing instead of what's on TV, but, but in in lots of, you know, examples now that it's more interesting talking about the real life. And obviously the shoot interviews have been going for, I mean, Bruiser Brody. But yeah, I mean, they've been going for probably 40 years now, if you include Bruiser Brody uh, and Eddie Mansfield and all that kind of stuff, like exposing the business. Um, so I, I I don't know I don't know what my I don't know what my point I think it's more offensive when it's coming from the company who made the stuff. Yeah, as like yeah. you had the idea. Yeah, it's He's like the guy you, alone. You made him do it. You can choose not to listen to the podcast or to the the cultaholic lists or whatever you know because that is their bread and butter. But when WWF are like taking something from your childhood and shitting all over it. Well, mate, be a WCW fan yeah. for the last 20 years. They'll just re- revise everything that ever happened that oh. you ever loved and fucking lie. Oh. Let, let, let's put a bow on this one before oh, this no. turns well, into a fear bitch fest. No, I know, I know. But, but the, it, talking about revisionism as well, the Hidden Treasures thing, a show which I should love. I just watched the flare clip of them trying to find his robe, the black butterfly robe, and they're like, he made his debut at Royal Rumble 92. I'm like, oh, no. Mm. Like, it's, like, it's like St. Lola made his debut at King of the Ring 93, and it's just like, mm. they're just <laughs> hoping people they don't care about the fans who know what they're talking about opinions because unfortunately the ones that those are the ones that are probably not putting money in their pockets um yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's the general public now who like the A&E shows making shows about wrestling instead of actually making wrestling shows you know it's relying on nostalgia and again you can't and it's just that's just making documentaries and just twisting they've always done that and every documentary does that to a point or biopics and stuff like that but it makes it no less fucking annoying <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i'll get off my soapbox now but yeah no king of the night six i love that event i, I do and it's a, it's a one of those like i say sleeper events that g- goes under a lot of people's radars and i think people unfairly maybe don't watch it because of the time period that it's in. It's like not watching SummerSlam 95 because you hear the Diesel Mabel match is shite or because it's in 95, um, whereas the rest of the card is actually pretty good. Uh, I've never actually seen that SummerSlam oh, so, I, for that exact reason. But I mean, if you're yeah. not a WWF fan, you don't like Mabel. <laughs> like, you're not going to watch that. <laughs> yeah, especially since that is meant to be the draw for the pay-per-view as well. I yeah, exactly. I do, I do it's, on the, it's on the poster, so I was like, nah. Yeah. But I mean, with this event, though, the... 
Sean and Bulldog, obviously the title match, but I think Taker and Mankind was just as much the draw as well. And Warrior being there was just as much the draw. Like it, it wasn't all being put on Sean and Bulldog. I don't feel at that point. No, no, that that's almost an afterthought. Even though there's like, and it's one of the things that holds the show back is the amount of backstage segments. <laughs> That match doesn't seem as important as the King of the Ring tournament. Now, I don't know if that's because I'm watching it with hindsight, because I can't remember how I felt watching it in 1996, obviously. Yeah. But, like, I don't know if it's just because I knew what was coming when Austin won that, but that feels like that tournament is the most important part of it, which it should. It's the it's the title of the bloody show. But, aye, the Sean Bulldog thing feels like something of an afterthought that the dude deliver. But for me, good event, uh, Few less backstage segments and take out Ahmed versus Goldust because that's just <laughs> just a mixture of just constant errors and homophobia. That's thought that that's an absolute stinker, but the rest of it's a good show. Yeah, it is, and and you know I I, I enjoy. Like we were talking earlier about people who aren't ready for TV. Ahmed's worse than that. Like this, just the dive off the corner and the the sleeper hold thing. His arm going down three times. That's unforgivable. Yeah, no, it's like getting pinned and it goes to three. And then, like, oh, no, 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 but he's not supposed to lose, so carry on. Yeah, no, but that's a fucking shambles. That I agree. Um, it's one of those, wasn't things, that great event though? Like, but Ahmed being so over, I think, carries the match. Um, and people's like, say, cringiness to what Goldus is potentially going to do i think helps carry it as well because people are like oh what's gonna happen it is more of a sounds horrible but like a freak show match well it like, definitely you know, is a freak show match but that, that's what i don't like about it yeah no and uh, yeah it does play up to like crowds you know i hate it's it's like there's two things i really hate in wrestling i mean there's a few but like <laughs> ge- geopolitical angles and like gay panic angles rank highly on shit i don't want to see yeah no, I get it. And again, this was probably as far as you could push Goldust in terms of that as well. And he uh, yeah, very much... He does that part well. I just don't want to watch it. Yeah, I, that's, I totally get it. I totally get it. But again, like seeing Ahmed's arse hanging out was a bit of an eye-opener. <laughs> You've got so a different <laughs> I'm a lot less offended by Ahmed's ring piece than I am by like, Goldust's sexual assault behaviour. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't pay... For wrestling to watch someone get sexually assaulted, maybe that's just me. Yeah, you prude. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on that note, <laughs> um, <Yeah>, right? <laughs> yeah, I want to uh, thank everyone for tuning in and for you know listening to the previous shows as well. Go back on BBG Wrestling on, under Turn Chuckle and Hands Off the Merchandise, and you'll find everything that we have done and there'll be a lot more coming up as well. And uh, I'm glad to get back to it as well because we had a little bit of time off and. Um, yeah, always, always fun. And we'll, uh, you picked King of the Ring 96, I think, but what are we doing next time? I want to do Beach Blast 92. Let's get summary oh. on my side of the wall. <laughs> and you know what? Beach Blast 92 is one of those events that I only saw the heavily edited video of. So I'm going to have to. My introduction to it was that as well, because I think me and you watched it on the network and we're like, there's a lot of shit we don't remember <laughs> from being kids here. Aren't <laughs> Missy and Medusa on the video cover? I'm sure they're featured heavily on this event in bikinis. Yes, they are. They have like a little contest thing, but let's not spoil the fun. <laughs> it, well, as well, isn't it Ventura's debut? Or am I just making that up? I think so, but I can't entirely remember. No, 
No, it's not. It's Is definitely it not? not. And remember, he's got the whole beach bum look going on, though, with the uh, Factor 50 on his face and stuff like but that. <laughs> what's its face had long started before this was, you know, when they started doing the talk show WCW Saturday nights. Yeah. Oh, and he comes out of that and he's like, look, I've set you up a Hollywood talk show and, and look at the music I've got. What do you think of that? So it's definitely not his debut. Yeah. And they didn't keep Ventura after that first one, did they? I don't think so, no. Which is... He, I'm sure he's, he's, he's debuts. Oh, is it is it in 1991? Oh, I don't know. I'll oh, find I'm... out before next week. We'll go back to ancient history. Here. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, <laughs> we'll definitely research that one. But yeah, uh, thank you everyone for listening, and we will see you all next week. See you next week. Bye.